Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. In the Michigan Territory, Stroud winds up, throws a deep ball side. Line, cut, touchdown, Marvin Harrison Jr. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Quarterback keeper rising with a seam. He's into the red zone. He's inside the 10. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance. Protecting Texans since 1952. If you're delayed. Takeout is doing yourself, kid, and picks up the first down. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Delora, deep down the middle, got his man. Counting, touchdown, Arizona. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. 39-yarder blocked. Picked up the Cowboys' Corey Black. Hit by the turf monster, but can't be stopped. Another special teams touchdown for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. And here we go, closing out another week as we get closer and closer to the first week of the college football season next weekend. And then, of course, a much larger number of games the following week, which is leading into, uh, not Memorial Day, but Labor Day. But here we are on this Friday, August the 18th, and we appreciate your time every day. We're going to have about three or four comments and the replay, so you watch us live, and there's the chat room that lives on its own. It's like its own heartbeat. And then afterwards, the segments go up. And then there are replay or comments like a chat room that come in after the segment. If someone's watched the segment, sometimes they just look at the name of the title on a segment but not watch it. So there's a little bit of misinformation from their end or what they might think it was about. But we had Gloria Navarez of the Mountain West Conference yesterday, and I just happened to go back and had a bunch of, bunch of views. And what people said about her, we're going to have a little bit of that 
a little bit later today. We will hear from Houston AD Chris Pesman in a moment, like momentarily, and then Gene Taylor of Kansas State today will join us also at uh, just after 4 o'clock on this show. So the Heisman Trophy last year went to Caleb Williams. Sports Illustrated's SI Sportsbook put out a list, Craig and Paul, of their favorites based on the odds, and not a surprise yet at all, overwhelmingly, that Caleb Williams is the favorite. And then, after that, North Carolina quarterback Drake May, Michael Penix of Washington, Jaden Daniels, who does, I don't really see his name out there a lot, but obviously with LSU and then Florida State, there's there's like three or four different lists here, but let's discuss these. Jordan Travis of your beloved Florida State Seminoles. Uh, I... Actually, and this is not an indictment on Caleb Williams. This is just history. Only one person's ever done it. And then the last two guys that have come back, three guys that have come back, all didn't win it. Uh, Tebow didn't win it. Johnny Manziel didn't win it again. And Jameis Winston didn't win it again. Uh, So it's really hard to do. Uh, It's one of those things that, you know, Caleb Williams, as fantastic as he is, it's going to kind of have a a target on him from everybody else. And he's going to get everybody's best shot. Um, you know, in the case of Johnny Manziel, I mean, you've just watched the documentary. You kind of know why why that went down. Uh, you know, so every every case is different, but I don't think that's going to be the case for Caleb Williams necessarily. But, yeah, I, I would – I know he's got the, the odds on favorite, but I, I would almost lean personally that saying any of these other guys are going to win it just because – it's only happened once, and it hasn't happened in, in 50 years. Is it like taking the field, Craig, in a golf tournament like Tiger? When he was that good, you take Tiger, and everybody else gets everybody else. I, I would like to know what the odds would be if you took the field against Caleb Williams. But your thoughts about this, at least this first page? I mean, lots of quarterbacks. Uh, that's the first thing that jumps out to me is not really any other representation uh, for a Blake Corum or you know anybody else you'd want to lump into that mix. If you want to go the receiver route, Marvin Harrison Jr. If you want to you know pinpoint just another area, that's just a uh, very quarterback heavy. But I mean that's what a lot of awards are, and uh, that's what the Heisman can be. So uh, you know that's not a, a knock. It's just what jumps out is is it's all five quarterbacks. Um, you know as far as the Caleb Williams things go, I mean I understand Paul's point, and I think if you were betting, yeah, you would take Vegas. But I wouldn't falter in, at all or feel in any way. Um, shaky in my confidence if I got to take the ticket that has Caleb Williams name on it I mean I understand only Archie Griffin's done it I understand many guys as you mentioned have come back and not won it but you know for whatever reasons I mean uh, I think that he'll be right there in the mix once again barring injury Uh, he's just a great player in general you know forget what anybody else has done before or what history has said I know that the odds do not favor him winning it a second time because again it's only happened once in this you know era so um, I get it but Man, if you were going to bank on somebody doing it, he'd be a damn good player to bank on doing it. So, yeah, I I think that that's going to be a fascinating story all year long is if he can be, you know, the new Archie Griffin and be the first back-to-back Heisman winner since that time period. But, yeah, I mean, the other guys on this list, they all make sense. Um, You know, there's tons of other names you can throw on here if you wanted to. Um Lots of other quarterbacks you could throw in here if you wanted to. Well, we're not done with the list. But oh, okay. That, that well, these are the first was... five names. All right. Yeah. Well, then let's keep going then. All right. The next page, that includes, again, a bunch of quarterbacks. Bo Nix, Quinn Ewers, Hartman at Notre Dame, McCarthy at Michigan, and Klubnick, who is the quarterback, the Texas kid, who is at Clemson. There's another list after this. Let's go ahead and do that, Garrett. The list that includes actually a non-quarterback uh, with Marvin Harrison Jr. there, Carson Beck of Georgia, 
who's a new name once they have made up their mind and who can lead them to the promised land. And then you have Ohio State, that's McCord, uh, another young, inexperienced quarterback, and then Joe Milton at Tennessee. Yeah, I I like J.J. McCarthy a lot for being a Heisman finalist this year. I'm kind of surprised. You know, if you want my, like, the darkest horse of all darkest horses in this, I'm going to throw in because and it doesn't happen because he's a tight end, but I'm going to throw Bowers. out Brock Bowers just because he's he's so unique. And George is going to have a new quarterback, so I think the Carson Beck, who's on this list, is going to lean very heavily on on Brock Bowers um, early on. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, like, yeah, this is the list and everything's going to depend. And, I, you know, I think for the guys not named Caleb Williams and Drake May, like Jordan Travis to win it, Florida State's going to have to win the ACC. For Jaden Daniels to win it, he might have a, a little bit because he's in the SEC, more of a, a you know, more of a, a softer spot to land. But I think LSU is going to have to beat you know, they're going to have to beat Alabama again. If they don't, then then Jaden Daniels is probably not not going to win it because that's just kind of how people are, are graded on that. Um, who else was in the, the number one was Michael Penix. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to do – again, Penix and Bo Nix are going to have to make real waves in the, in, in the pack this year. Minimum of getting to the playoff, you think, for them? Or do they just have to make sure they're big, – Big stats in contention for the conference until the very last week. Craig? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, again, lots of quarterbacks. Good to see Marvin Harrison Jr. on the list. Um, you know, no running backs. That's kind of surprising to not see a Blake Corum on there. Actually, wasn't – I'm sorry. I'm, hold on. Okay, I'm, I'm holding. Wasn't there one more – Is it? Uh, you were speaking of that, Craig, because you're right. There was one more list that I don't know if it – yeah, there you go. Uh, the quarterback the, – uh, Drew Alar, is that right? At Penn Aller. State. And then Blake Corum, Michigan – Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma. That was the last. That was a, so. So Corum is there, but very near the end. So we're done for yep. sure. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, yes, then we there's are. Blake Corum, and there's and I was going to mention Dylan Gabriel. I was surprised to not see his name on there either. So yeah, I mean, I think that checks all the boxes I was wondering about. Uh, now that we've seen the full list, and I mean, yeah, it makes sense to have all those guys. I mean, I don't see any. If I hadn't seen Corum, if I hadn't seen Gabriel, if I hadn't seen Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, then, yeah, I would have had some questions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that checks most of the boxes you see on a preseason Heisman list, a bunch of the top quarterbacks from the top teams, and then a sprinkling of other guys. And, you know, I don't think that outside of maybe if you want to throw a Quinshawn Judkins in there, but I know that the, the odds of him winning it are just super long. You know, randomly a running back from Ole Miss jump and leapfrogging all these guys would take a lot, not only from him but from his team. But I just think in terms of, like, great players, you know, he'd be a guy you look at amongst, you know, plenty of others that, you know, will uh, probably emerge at various points this season. There will be some new names we talk about for sure. So, um, yeah, excited to see this initial batch. Not that there's any huge surprises. And look forward to seeing if, you know, Caleb Williams can pull off the, the Archie Griffin or – you know, whoever ruins his chances, much like others, ruin the chances of a Johnny Manziel uh, who attempted to do the same thing. There's a reason, though, even though some have had a chance to repeat, and, Paul, you mentioned some because they just weren't quite as good or maybe somebody else jumped up, it's hard to keep the standard. And if Caleb Williams has a really good year but doesn't quite have the dynamic year where USC, what they did, you wonder if he's graded on a different level. Well, because you would think it would give him the benefit of the doubt being the returning Heisman winner, but sometimes that means people even like grade him on a harder scale. So, uh, 
I think, like, if you look at the three guys I threw out, Tebow, Manziel, and Jameis Winston, Tebow's team got all the way, and they lost to Alabama in the conference title game. It's just there were so many, like, that was a year around Tim Tebow where there were just a lot of really good candidates, and he'd already won it. Plus, um, that team wasn't as... Maybe dynamic Florida wasn't as exciting that year, even though they were really good. They weren't of the Tebow teams. They were kind of the one that was a little bit mundane, you know, if you, if you can say that, because all those teams were really good. Uh, with Johnny Manziel, you saw it. He got very complacent. Everybody around him got a little complacent and entitled. Uh, there was a lot going on. You know, he was partying like, you know, Paul Horning would even thought like, bro, you got to slow down uh, how much he was partying. And with Jameis Winston and FSU, that team somehow managed to roll all the way through the regular season and the conference title game undefeated, but falling behind and coming back in every single game because they were super entitled and they knew they were really talented and they didn't have to, they didn't have to kind of put a effort until the fourth quarter. And then you saw what happened in the Oregon game, which was an unmitigated disaster in the Rose Bowl. So you kind of have the attitude. It's not just the Heisman winner. It's everybody who's in their orbit that somehow sometimes gets some you know, a little bit of entitlement themselves because we've got the Heisman Trophy winner. He's right here. Look at this. We got this guy. And then sometimes it's like, well, you won it because all of you were really good and he was the best of all of you. All right, Craig, wrap this up. And then, Paul, we'll get Chris Pesman on from the University of Houston. If he loses a game early, they're not supposed to lose. Then he has, Does he have to be twice as good the rest of the year? Who, Caleb Williams? Yeah. I mean, I, I that think that depends on who they lose to. How'd they lose? What did he do in the game? Was he the reason they lost? Or did he have five touchdowns and 500 yards and 100 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown and they lost in triple overtime? Like, I think the circumstances matter. So, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a question that needs far more details. But, yeah, I mean, if you stumble early – uh, it's a winner's award. You don't give it to guys who have lost five games. Uh, if USC were to lose five games anyway in Caleb Williams' final year, that would be abject disaster. Right. So um, that's not that realistic. But, no, I think you stumble early. That doesn't rule anything out. It's just a matter of what does that stumble look like. And, you know, if anything, I guess it just means you can't really afford a second one. But, no, it, it wouldn't by any means rule him out unless it was just a – terrible performance the likes of which we've never really seen from him before we are now joined by the university of houston director of athletics chris pesman uh one of the great friends of our show we've gotten to know chris the last couple of years after everything changed in 2021 for the four now new teams of the big 12 chris thank you with paul catalina craig and david smoke thanks for your time uh when you joined in the fall of 2021 did you ever realize that it might be four more on top of you No, I I did not see this playing out. I mean, certainly as things progressed over the last year or so, you kind of hoped maybe it could play out this way, but certainly did not envision this happening. And uh, I think Brad said it best is, you know, the dream scenario unfolded for us with the way the four corners were able to join us. And, you know, before I came back to Houston, I was at Cal for five years. So having an understanding of the value of those brands, I couldn't be more excited for the future of our program for our program and for our conference. How does it just change your message in selling what's great about the University of Houston that you have to do, that you do every day, now that you, you even have a, a wider, you know, it wasn't, part of your plan was, hey, we're going to get to go to, you know, BYU and, and, and play and all these that we these things. But now you're talking about the legitimate, you know, Phoenix and, and Utah even more. How much does it change what you were already planning to do? Yeah, look, I mean, I don't 
I've tried to express this, and I don't know if I found a great way of doing it. Is look, when we got in the Big Twelve, it was it was a watershed moment for us, and in its own way, those four schools coming into the Big Twelve and the stability and the the continued trajectory that it it establishes with the league, it, it was like hitting the lottery again. And I, I couldn't, I can't impress upon our fans and and everybody that listens to this, how important this move is for us as a league, because it just, it, it continues to establish the trajectory of the league. And for, with, you know, with the, with the history of the Pac-12 and those four schools being able to feel comfortable to leave because of what we're doing as a league, just, it says so much about what's happening, about where we're all going to go as a group. And those guys were just with us the last couple of days. We had big 12 meetings mm-hmm. Wednesday and Thursday in Dallas, and they were with us and, it, they fit right in, and it was it was a, a genuinely guys. I, I I mean this. It's a good group of guys, and everybody is in it for the right reasons, and they couldn't be more excited. Uh, that's great to hear. I had Gene Taylor recorded something with him earlier today. We're going to have that in about an hour. And I asked him. I said the key about when everything changed in the summer of 2021 was how close knit the eight were. They had to be. They were kind of like maybe in some cases the way the Pac-12 has had to deal with recently. And then the four new schools, none of them could have been more thrilled than they were. And then, yeah, you get that some ADs or presidents are fighting for what they want to keep, but there have been a couple of comments uh, made. You think that was just the initial shock and awe of what was going on and they're now all in? Yeah, they're all in. It it was funny, and we all know what we're referring to our – Ray at Arizona State, he, and he was he and Ren played it really well as a, to the group, and they had a lot of fun with it. And now everybody's in it. Look, Mark Harlan was at South Florida when I joined Houston. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Dave Heakey, I've known for for years at Arizona. Rick George at Colorado. All these guys, we work together um, in different facets. There's actually kind of a small working group that stayed in contact over the pandemic because we're all trying to figure out best practices of how to, to play football and play sports during the pandemic. And Dave and Rick were part of that group that I was with. And, and then taking those relationships and transferring them now into working together to solidify the league, it, it, it just it's just working. And it felt really, really natural and felt really good. And obviously once we start playing, everybody's, uh, you know, our hackles will get up and it'll get competitive. But that's all right. We're all pulling the rope the same way, and we can see what this league means to everybody and, and the path that we're on. Chris, in terms of getting ready for this upcoming season, I mean, obviously, just a lot to prepare for. What has been the focus? What have been, for those who don't know how it all operates behind the scenes, uh, you know, your, your biggest areas of, of interest and, and focus when it comes to getting ready for what's about to hit with football season? Oh, man. We look. <laughs> I think I maybe said this before, it's a list and it was probably a thousand items long. Now we probably knocked it down about 600 items, (laughs) but um, we got, we got a lot to get done, but it's coming together. You know, we, we're preparing frankly for a lot of people to come back to the university of Houston that haven't been here in, in decades. And how do we put our best foot forward for them to experience the university of Houston, but also for us to represent the city in the best way possible. And, you know, in the Big 12, most of the schools were in College Town. I mean, Austin, maybe not as much, but Stillwater or, or, or Lawrence, Kansas, things like that. So when you're a big metropolitan area that's, that's this big, how do we stand out more and how do we present ourselves? Because, you know, you get some advantages being in smaller towns because you own that market. 
here we really have to elbow our way in to to push out the Texans or the Astros that are all there's a lot of excitement as those seasons begin. But getting ready for the fall, I mean, we probably put uh, about seven million dollars into the stadium preparing for the fall, and that's new suites, new clubs, added games, added concessions, everything we can do to try to maximize the fan experience um, as we start leveling up the peers that we're competing against and the experiences that people have at other venues. And obviously we got to, you know, we're basketball, you know, we're already working on basketball and it's just, how do we deliver those environments and that, that, that game experience that keeps people off the couch and gets them into the venue. And it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. Obviously here in the South playing football in September, it's hot as hell, right? Mm -hmm. We worked really hard to get night games. And so we don't, we don't have a day game that we're aware of at least till early to mid-October, which is a huge win. And we're already seeing massive growth, as I've mentioned before, in season tickets. We're over 26,000 season tickets, over 7,500 new season tickets sold. And we still have two weeks to go. And, you know, Texans will probably sell out over the weekend. Um, TCU's right behind it, as is UTSA. So we got some great news coming in. The, the community is is galvanizing around the Big 12 and around the University of Houston participating in it. Chris, the uh, the new schools, based on the television contracts with the networks, were able to get a full share coming in based on ESPN and also Fox. I know the four that are now a part of the conference took what is a smaller share this year and next, but still a very nice chunk compared to before. Was there any, not bitterness, but was there a little bit of, wait a minute, we're in it, why would we not get more? Look, yes and no. You have a that you have that moment, but you know, Brett had to make these deals work, and you know, our TV partners stepped up in a big way with Fox and ESPN, and so we, Brett was really transparent with all of us about what he needed to do to get these deals done to get those four new corner schools in, and we're all really comfortable with what Brett has delivered and. I don't think you're nobody's doing any side eyes at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So everybody's in a really good place and, and financially, you know, we're growing into this, all the four new schools with the rev share with the T V distribution, where these other schools are coming in and they're already leveraged up. So we have to take that into account. We're gonna be fine. I'm not worried about it. Um, our self generated revenues are gonna be up about hundred and fifty percent this fall as we go into the fall. So we're, we're going to be all right. We've got a lot more work to do to continue to enhance our revenue opportunities. But, you know, the, the conference distribution and the way we had to make this work to get us to this point, everybody's comfortable and we're happy with where we are. You touched on it there, Chris, but can you describe just, I guess, the overall feeling of the difference in the amount that's coming your way versus prior and just how game-changing that is for the university? Oh, guys, I, I, I mean, look, it, it allows me to keep Kelvin. I mean, to be honest with you, um, you know, coaches had other opportunities and to be able to hold on to him and get his contract done this last spring that that is what that financial um uh, lift allows us to do is to get great coaches and hold on to them you know in the past if we had a coach make a great run they get hired away because we didn't have the resources to hold on to them now going in the big 12 that that's not a concern for me anymore but also as we invest in every other aspect of student athlete uh, experience health and welfare nutrition uh, building out strength staff uh, uh, mental health all these things that we're doing um, Alston money which is something that was really difficult for us to fund in the American now allows me to do that going into the big 12 uh, again 
that list, it's not 600 items long. It's probably about 100, but it allows us to start addressing all those things. And we're building into it over the first three years as we transition in the league. And we've got a great plan, and it's and frankly, it's coming together. And that's what gets me genuinely excited. I can't wait for people to see what's coming. Chris, you, you kind of broached on this with talking about Coach Sampson there. As an athletic director, is it – a lot harder to, to lose a guy because you, you have to be like, look, we just can't get there on the money because all things being equal, most people don't want to move if they like their job. But if you've got life-changing money, sometimes you have to do that for yourself as opposed to sometimes you're just going to have a coach that leaves because they want to go take that job no matter what you offer or whatever. Is it harder when you just have to tell them, hey, I'm sorry, we don't have the cash? Yeah, that, you know, you put so much into building programs to get to this point and then to have, and unfortunately it hasn't happened for me here. You know, it, we dealt with that sometimes at Cal with Sonny, we just capped out. There was, we didn't have a lot of room to put more into him there and into the staff. And really, I think most of the time it's not necessarily a head coach's compensation that becomes a sticking point for when they entertain other jobs. It's about what the money is around the assistance and the support programs because that's what makes great coaches great. And the great ones know that is how good is my staff and how can I hold on to them. And, and admittedly, we'd be able to do that as well, you know, whether it's Doug Belt with football and or Kellen with basketball, having the, 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 the means to be able to hold on to them and keep them and keep our head coaches in a good place because, you know, they're – Great head coaches are great head coaches, but they're even better when they got great assistants, and, and we're really lucky with the, with the staffs both of them have. You know, it's it's been a great run since the fall when we got to, you know, cover this as, as it was happening. And here you were. You were, of course, Houston wanting to get in, as anyone would, because of the history of Houston and football. And now you look at it, and the way the landscape has changed, is it still a whirlwind in some ways for you? Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, look, we were in a call a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday and we were talking about realignment and the possibility of some things possibly happening with the Pac-12. And, you know, I'm sitting in there on a Zoom call and I'm looking at these ADs and we're talking about some Pac-12 schools. And I'm like, what world am I in where I'm in this meeting and we're in and they're out? And you're like, it just it completely flipped the script. And I'm like, this it was bizarro world. I'm like, because we've been on the out and you kind of, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or any of those things we're kicking in, but yeah. I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, I maybe said a curse word on my breath. I'm like, son of a gun. I just, it, it's just, it's too good to be true. <laughs> and, um, which probably a different word, but it just, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's been, um, it's been surreal. And it's, I, I'm, I'm so genuinely excited about where we are. And, um, and again, I, being in this business and you guys around it, you you understand the significance of it, and our fans are excited. But the things that are coming, I mean, let's just talk about the Big Twelve basketball tournament in two years with Arizona and Kansas and Houston and Bay. I mean, my God, mm-hmm. that is a motherload of a basketball tournament, and that's that's just basketball. That's not baseball or football. I mean, we're just this thing is just it's a monster, and I I can't wait for us to get this thing going this way. Yeah, Chris, it's so strange. Three years ago, you're sitting around thinking, how do we get to the the A5? And then two weeks ago, not only are you there, they're asking your opinion about who you should bring with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally, 
it, two, it was two years ago right now because it was about, what, 60 or 90 days. It was around the July 1st when OU at Texas gave their notice. And right now, two years ago, I was burning phones up. I mean, like, it was anybody and everybody that would answer a phone for me over the course of the day. I would talk to them every day I could. Because the landscape changes so quickly during these periods, you're not quite sure what information is accurate and how quickly it changes, as we've all seen over the last month, right? And so you go from this intense, hyper-intense period where you, you're working to get in to two years later, you flash 40, and you're in, just like we said, and now you're like, wait, we're talking about them being out and we're in? It just, yeah, it, it just, I, I, it's hard to express in words the reality of it, and I'm just so thankful. So, Chris, uh, this is non-realignment related, but it does very much have to do with the current college landscape. We had somebody the other day pass along a question for Mac Rhodes that was just very enlightening and interesting. And so there are a couple caveats here, if you'll bear with me. But let's say a donor came to you with $10 million to donate to the athletic department, and you could earmark that for something. Now, granted, schools are not directly involved in NIL, so let's just state that up front. We realize that. But let's say you could maneuver the money wherever you want to. That's part of it. So if somebody came to Houston and said, here's $10 million, spend it on what's you know at the top of the list, how would that money go as far as NIL, capital projects, as far as Houston's situation and just today's landscape, knowing that, what, what would Chris Presman do with that money first? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually got this from a donor about a week ago about oh, okay. uh, discretionary gift or not. And honestly, it's about 50 50. Um, we're, you know, we're in the process right now of, of, you know, fundraising for a football building that starts after this season. And that's a $140 million project. We're about 60, $70 million raised on that project. Um, and that that project will generate about sixty. Or check that. I'm sorry, about ninety five million dollars in revenue with the premium, but that's over like thirty years. So I need to raise about. I need to hit about ninety is my goal. So I've got about twenty five. Pardon me, fifteen million more to go, or twenty five million more to go in a perfect world. Chris, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, please finish. I'm sorry. Yeah, and so and then the other side of that is you know um, uh, nil, and so really probably 50-50 is the answer um, because NIL is not going away. And we and, and that is um, something that we've worked really hard to hold on to our kids and, and how that money works has really been for us with retention of kids. Um, so I would say 50-50. I'd love to know what Max's answer was. <laughs> uh, what did he say? Well, He's, initially, didn't he say, well, he said, you know, I can't say NIL. Yeah. 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 He thought I was trying to trick him. Uh, but, no, I think he – what did he say? He went to uh, facilities, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he said facilities was, was what he would ultimately go with. Because, Only because of the current rules is the way Yeah, out. because yeah. but I think, yeah, yeah. that would have gone some NIL route, too, if it, if it could. Absolutely. Do, do you think that whenever there are clarifications on the rules, that one of them needs to be, hey, can we just admit that all this is, like, can, that yeah. way we can, you can say, yes, here's the fun. This is, it would be easier for you guys to be involved, uh, especially if the athletes are going to be getting the same thing they're getting right now, just that way you can direct them to the places that they need to be and that are more reputable. Yeah, absolutely. We need to, we need to clear it up. We need to have transparency. The whole point of a sports league or a conference is to create competitive equity or competitive balance. And right now, because of NIL living outside, and, and I hate, I don't know what other word to use other than salary cap, right? No salary cap exists, so you've got inequities 
in the way that money is being used across institutions, which creates a problem, right? And some are using it to entice kids to come in. Some are using it for retention. Some, whatever, I, I can't imagine whatever else it's being used for. So we got to get to where it's a set amount and we've got to have some transparency around it. And, and we've got to be able to make sure it's equitable and consistent because right now without that, you're just going to have wild swings. And to me, that just doesn't seem right. We've got to get past that because it's going to start affecting the product on the field here. And, and whether that happens over one season or five season, we're going to see that talent moving. And I, I don't know how to, how to make that better. One of the big benefits we have was scholarship reduction you know a long time ago you used to have unlimited scholarships then it went down to what 105 now down to 85 and you've seen that parity play out but now with the nil moving around i don't know that that parity can continue as much and that's why we need to figure out a way to have some transparency and balance around it you mentioned the operations football operations your last home game is against oklahoma state is it right after that when you start to begin that i guess uh groundbreaking and 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 the rest is history yeah, so that so that we play Oklahoma State on Saturday on Sunday they're bringing a, a I mean pardon the pun but a big ass crane in putting on the stadium <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna take apart the video board in the upper deck um, and then for the next fall for fall of twenty four the video board will be up and operational will be about three times bigger than the one that is now it'll be literally sideline to sideline the steel structure will be in place for the football building and then that building will be able to move into it for fall of twenty five and it is going to be We'll have some new renderings coming out here very soon in the next couple of weeks, and that thing is kick-ass. It is going to be a game-changer for us. And obviously everybody says that, but it this is going to be really, really fun. I can't wait for people to see it. It's going to be pretty cool. Football ticket sales for TDECU Stadium record. And then is it they, you had 26,000 more single-game tickets that have now gone on sale as they start to get gobbled up. That's the next, that's the next part of the yeah. process. Yeah, we're actually we're less we're over thirty thousand uh, sold for UTSA, and we're within like we're less than a thousand tickets left for Texas. Got a couple thousand left for TD for TCU, so we're right there. We're tracking for a bunch of sellouts, and the response from the community has been so exciting. And once we get playing, it's only going to build because I think we got a chance to have a fun season. I was out of practice this morning. And, I like what I see. It's it's going to be a fun year. Speaking of that, as a former player and as the director of athletics, when you watch practice, is it as a businessman or a talent or personnel or coaching evaluator? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I mean, it's probably a little bit of both um, or all of it. You know, you, you know, as a, as a meathead linebacker, you know, you're always looking for a fullback. Nobody uses them anymore. So, you know, <laughs> it kind of screws you up when you're watching pass pro or run fits. Um, but, I think it's you're looking at talent, and and honestly, I watch our coaches coach a lot. I like to hear what they're teaching the kids. I like to see the way they teach and the way our kids respond to them because you like to see the younger guys because those guys, you know, naturally are going to progress somewhere else along in their career. And I'd love to say Dane is going to retire here, but you know, he may retire after one or two more years of NIL and transfer portal for mm-hmm. life. And you got to figure out who the next person is. So I really like to keep an eye on the young guys and watch them coach. We got some special ones. We hired a new guy, Iman Igavi, who came from – he's our new O-line coach, came from Tulane, but he's an old Katie High School guy. He's got a lot of juice, and obviously Doug Belk and some other guys that are on this staff. I don't want to leave anybody out, but we've got a lot of good young coaches, and they're doing a good job. I like what they're how we're attacking 
our plan for the season, a lot more depth, a lot more size in the team, and I, I like where we're going. Last thing, Chris, is that you had time at Cal, and this is not by any means trying to set you up with anything, but you were there. Could you have imagined when you were there, or did you see anything that was starting to maybe have cracks in the wall that led to what we've seen the last 13 months with the Pac-12? You know, oh, man, that's a um, I didn't see this coming. Not like this. Not them getting left out. It, it, they're such a prestigious brand, and the academics and the amount of research dollars and their stature as an institution academically is so significant. But, you know, without being dismissive of the people that are there, the work they're doing, they never had the alignment institutionally is, is, is a little tougher. They've got one board that oversees the entire UC system. So here at Houston, like our board of regents is really involved. They, they're around us all the time. They're the same board that oversees UCLA, oversees Cal, also oversees Davis and, 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 and all the others. So it, it's easy to get distracted and understand how quickly the, 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 the changes are coming. And so, you know, with the realignment, with, when it started with, you know, two years ago with UTNOU or last year with um, UCLA and USC, without the board being embedded with you as much, it's hard then to react to moments like this where you've got to be hyper nimble and hyper engaged to spin everybody up is a lot harder to do because at that point it's too late. Everybody's already reacted. And I would tell you that would be probably the, the, the lesson that comes out of this is just don't take your eye off the ball because look, there's another, this is not over. I mean, I, I think we're in a great place you know, until 2032, but we just have to be mindful that if we're, if we're not paying attention, something can get you. And so you just got to keep your eyes on the horizon with the realignment, you know, who knows what happens with the ACC. You've heard a lot of chatter out of there and how that can create another cascade effect. And so we just have to be prepared that if things happen in those cases that we're, we're mindful and we're aware of it and that we have, we're, we're always working on a plan. Chris, we do appreciate it. Love the segment with you whenever we get it. We really do. Look forward to it down the road as well. Thank you so much for what you've accomplished, what you guys still need to do along the way, and we appreciate your time. Well, fellas, I appreciate it. I really enjoy the time, the conversation, the questions are great. I can't wait to get you guys down to here to Houston for a game, hopefully get you down here this fall and, and give you a hard time. Look forward to it, absolutely. Uh, I, I can see where he has that former that athlete in him. Yeah. Uh, I can see where he's mm-hmm. leading – you know, an athletic department. He is very much uh, not off the cuff, very transparent. And, and a lot of the ADs, you should wait till you hear Gene, Gene Taylor in about 30, 45 minutes. I mean, I I like Chris Pesman a lot. Yeah, we had a, uh, he and I just had a, had a long conversation at the Big 12 Media Days and just, um, you know, talking about Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's interesting where schools like. In the modern era, Houston and UCF and Cincinnati, to me, have an advantage uh, over maybe some others that, you know, realizes that, you know, most places aren't in cities that big, right? I mean, you have your mm-hmm. USC's and places that are in big cities, but, you know, Corvallis, Oregon is in a small town. Manhattan, Kansas is a small town. Ames, Iowa is a small town. Bro, in Houston, like, if yeah. you're just talking Houston proper, much less than yeah. adding all the greater Houston. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And Houston is... And people from Houston will know what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to knock people from Dallas. There's a weird civic pride, and I, I, I very much admire this about Houston. People from Houston really, really 
talk are, about it. They, 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 they are they really proud of you. Yeah, proud of yeah. Houston. So if you grow up and you would decide like, oh well, I'm not going to go to Houston my freshman year because I've got this offer at LSU and LSU doesn't work out for you, and then you decide, man, I really want to be back close to home. Well, now Houston is in a, a you know power conference to where now you don't have to transfer to A and M where you may not have wanted to go to in the first place. You can just go be home again, mm-hmm. you know. So in the transfer pool era, they sit in a in a market where the kids who are homesick for H Town. Same thing in Orlando, same thing in Cincinnati. Now they don't have to, like, split the difference of, well, I'll go to the place that's closest, you know, to the city without being in it. Now you're just a Power 5 school in the major city. Yeah, and um, I think one of the sillier comments I saw during the entire realignment phase, and and all due respect to where it came from, but uh, was that Houston's not really Texas. I don't know if you all ever saw that comment, which is could not be farther from the truth. And so whoever said it knows that they said it. But, uh, man, like that – you're off on that one because it is very much the state of Texas. I, I I don't know. I never that one just didn't jive with me. But I mean, it is a massive city, and it is uh, you know a place where there's a lot of opportunity, and there's going to be a big cut of of the city of Houston that's now going to be you know even more SEC territory. That's what they've got to be aware of as well. You know, LSU had their place, Oklahoma uh, to a lesser extent, but Texas certainly with A and M uh, as well. I mean, LSU and A&M already gave you a good part of Houston, but Texas uh, will certainly give you a lot more, and then Oklahoma will sprinkle in some as well. Uh, but, you know, to have Houston and to still have, you know, multiple Texas teams, you got to keep your focus on that city. And, uh, you know, you hope that the potential of the Cougars just continues to rise every year. Now that they're making more money, now that they've got a bit of a bigger stage, they've got fresh opponents, um, bigger schools. You hope that, you know, when you talk about, well, we're not adding SMU for right now, we're adding them for 10 years down the line. That's kind of like with Houston. You know, that's that was the whole point with the four schools is what could Houston, what could BYU, what could UCF, what could um, Cincinnati do with more and, and how much more could their brands blossom and now you know it's it's a little bit different with the new new schools but that's what i'm excited to see is yeah what can chris pesman do now he's got you know a bit extra money to work with and, and a different platform to work with and some different leaders to work with i mean you can hear the excitement in his voice talking about just the big 12 meetings and brett yormark and all that so yeah it's it's uh it's fun to hear the excitement in his voice and to uh, think of all the possibilities and i just i get a smile on my face thinking about how happy he seemed to just be in those meetings yep. you know and to to realize hey we were the team that was left out a bunch and now not only are we in the meeting we're in the group that we've been wanting to get into but we're in the meetings and we're yeah given the green light as well to other potential moves and not just moves but Pac-12 schools like we're part of allowing that to happen it's in a year's time is just really crazy uh, is a really crazy turn of events so yeah I mean the uh the energy and excitement is is evident in listening to him um and I uh, can't wait to you know see what Houston's able to do with it but uh, it's it's um contagious the, that kind of excitement that you're hearing from some of those new schools a couple more things before we break Grayson Grunhaper around the corner it would be fun to see what schools that have been getting five or six million or so a year Uh, because of the television and all that, and also because of what teams have earned or whatever they are, see what they would do with $50 a year, and then also see those who have been getting $50, $60, $70 a year and see what they could do with $6 million a year. I know that's that's not going to happen, but would be a little well, bit of an interesting conversation. It, it, it might happen to Cal and, you no, know, I mean, yeah. like Oregon State. Well, speaking of that, that, Jim Williams, it, 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 speaking of that, Jim Williams earlier today on Twitter, it's an update. He said, Stanford, Cal, SMU continuing to lobby the ACC for membership. They need 12 votes to get in. All three are willing. Here's the key, and I followed up on this, 
to forego media payouts for an unknown number of years. So I reached out to Jim. I sent him an email about that because I can't imagine Cal with a budget deficit of where they are. And I know SMU can write any check they want, but eventually how long can you keep writing those checks? And I know Stanford's got that $36 billion endowment. So he said, it's not yet determined small share. I have no idea what it is, but when the person said no money, that was not literally no money, just a small amount. I do think Stanford and SMU could go without cash, but not Cal. Hope that helps. Have a great weekend. Because I saw that and I was like, man, I just can't imagine, not that the tweet wasn't true, but that that could actually be something that anyone would accept, no matter what we've heard about just nothing. There's got to have something. Nothing would be, to me, almost impossible to comprehend. So the gist of it is that they're just going to all get their way into the ACC by just not accepting money for a certain amount of years? That, that is, sounds uh, like a great plan. Yeah, that sounds like a plan to maybe you... Uh, I mean, it, it keeps you alive in the sense of whatever you think alive is. I guess it, it means that you have to be in the power four. Um, and look, I, I don't know what other great options they have at this point. I mean, they're kind of exploring the same ones they've been exploring since all this uh, started to unravel. And uh, I hate the... Um, so I like interacted with an Oregon State guy, and I, I hate that uncertainty for them, and especially when it's not even like the type where you feel like it's about to pop, like something's about, you know, like at least there was, there was just this building up of urgency that you knew eventually an end was coming. But with this, it's like there's no real like okay huge like pressing issue. It feels like uh, that's front page news. But man, I, for those fans, it is like you want to know where you're playing, and uh, just it sucks. The other thing I would say, so at first it was SMU who's willing to forego just yeah. them. Now you've got all three schools willing to forego, which sounds to me like that's the first step to unequal revenue sharing mm-hmm. for the people who are already there. Because if you are one of the schools who's in favor of unequal revenue sharing, because you will get it, then that might be the condition where you told them, you know, we'll vote yes on this. If these three schools do this and that money that they're not going to get is coming to these four places. That sounds to me like how that went down because it surprises me that Stanford and Cal would agree to such a thing unless they were absolutely pressed into the corner to do it. SMU is a different animal altogether. Yeah, they're desperate on a a different type of level. But Stanford and Cal, to agree to that, to me, would have to be so painted into a corner that they would go, yes, give all of our money to Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina. and Whoever wants our money, give it to them. We'll go four years without distribution, and then maybe – you know, that quiets the, the angry people down for a little while. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that would kill the pack off entirely. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine how you salvage that because at best you'd have two teams remaining and you can call it what you want to, but that's not going to be what people knew it as. And, and, you know, it barely is anyways, even with just the four. Um, but, yeah, that would be the death blow, and you you wonder what that opens up. But, I mean, it's not, it kind of sounds like putting scotch tape on a gushing yeah. wound, though. You know, like maybe not for SMU because they've, again, they've shown that they are just willing to do whatever it takes to get into power conference, knowing that this is their their spot, their their time, and uh, if not now, when. Uh, but, you know, you can say that about a lot of things, but truly with, with this situation and, and with them in particular, um, you know, the other two, I, I get it, but – 
I, I just don't think it solves the toxicity that already is, is there swirling in the waters of the ACC. And I don't know if it, it maybe, if anything, expedites it, even if you are giving a little bit of that extra money to Florida State or to Clemson to make them happy. I don't know that it's enough that you're like, oh, yeah, this is this solves everything. So, um, yeah, just another AD, though, from the Big 12, said they are paying attention to what's going on out there. We appreciate uh, Pesman coming up at 4.05 or so, Gene Taylor, uh, obviously, much more from out the uh, Kirby Holcutt Mac Roads on Tuesday. So here's a tweet, real quick. Katie Rader sent this to me, breaking Grayson. Here's a the student shuttle on the campus at UCF. That's what it looks like. Hmm. It has all of these caricatures of teams within the Big Twelve. That is what it means to a school that is able to now be a part of this conference. And then on the back, there's a little. Uh, picture on the back of it that basically it just again reiterates those in the Big 12. We do need to break right here and we will. Coming up, Grayson Grunhafer. This is 365 Sports. Waco Custom Marketplace the rest of the day until 6 today while they're open tomorrow. 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco with the following specials including Swiss Cheddar Colby Jack and Smoked Cheddar Cheese and Monster Cheese from anywhere $4.99 a pound to $5.99 a pound. 10% off on all Boar's Head lunch meat. They have the uh, select choice in prime New York strip from $8.99, $11.25, and $16.99 a pound. Chicken drumsticks at $0.99 cents a pound. Bacon ends in pieces, $1.99 a pound. Pork steak at $2.15 a pound. They have a full-service butcher shop, full-service full bakery, fresh-baked bread and kolaches every single day. And the seafood, pork, poultry, and beef inside of that butcher shop. The Bauer family and Waco Custom Marketplace, a great place for your tailgating, including even charcoal, pellet fuel, and more. Briskets galore at 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. During the Make This the Summer event, say big on a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited with $3,500 plus 2.9% for 72 months. Or a 2023 Jeep Gladiator Sport with employee pricing for all plus 1.9% for 72 months. And an extra $1,000 rebate. Or if that's not enough, get a 2023 Jeep Compass 10% off MSRP. That's right, and no payments for 90 days on all offers. Find the Jeep that fits you at Allen Samuels in Waco. The future's bright, the time is now. College is what you make it. It's a late night pizza run and all-nighters coding a new project. It's having big dreams and making them a reality. It's a professor who knows your name and your story. It's preparation for your future, your calling, your life. And at Baylor, it's even more. Baylor, where lights shine bright. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses, but when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one-size-fits-all strategy. Ben Erlinson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why he takes the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Ben Erlinson, 100 North 6th Street in Waco, 254-759-8533. Edward Jones, member SI. 
Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 and they have never wavered with their focus on great product and customer service, relationships with a handshake, making sure you, the customer, is satisfied. Their new facility is now twice the size, allowing new inventory, higher quantities, and in a much more organized fashion. In addition to the long lengths in tubing, angles, channels, rods, and flat, Pioneer Steel and Pipe now offers several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut. Their 2,500 square foot showroom has over a thousand new products in stock, new welding supplies, hardware, quickcrete, and do-it-yourself components for any project, whether you are a professional contractor or weekend warrior. The new facility is designed to make your loading experience faster and more efficient with easy drive lanes around the building and much more room to get your trailer loaded. Our location may have changed, but our values haven't, and our relationship with customers goes much farther than just business. Pioneer Steel and Pipe on Loop 340 and Highway 6 and just east of I-35 in Waco. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. 352 Grayson Groot Hayford, 365 Sports, sickum 365.com. Does many things, including football analyst and recruiting coordinator. Well, Grayson, today uh, was the last availability that uh, we got with Baylor before the, you know, they start their regular season stuff. So next week there'll be no availability in the, and from what you've seen when you were here, from what you've gathered, how much do you think this team will be different than the one we saw last year on the field before they've even taken a snap? I mean, I I think the initial hope is, is that at least, you know, from last year to this year, those kind of locker room problems that we've heard mentioned, just kind of the, the, I don't even really know how you can really describe it other than that. Um, but it's been talked about a ton by Dave Aranda and the players. Just that last year's team, there just was something missing as far as the cohesiveness in that locker room. And I think that's the biggest place that they needed to start um, and address. And I think they did that through the transfer portal, um, maybe through some of the pieces that they let go. And then the additions, of course, they brought in a lot of guys who are leaders and veteran guys who have played a lot of football and so I think that's probably the biggest thing that we've probably seen this spring and fall is just trying to address 
those concerns. And then also, of course, you know, trying to make the roster better and make sure all the pieces that they brought in fit what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. So I think ultimately that's the biggest ingredient there. And if you looked at last year's team, I mean, how many close games that they had, I mean, you could look back and just say, hey, you know, maybe if the locker room had been fixed during the season or if they were able to just kind of come together as a team down the stretch, I mean, they could have been playing for a Big 12 title. And that's kind of what we saw late in the season. You know, when November came around, they won that game at Oklahoma. And if they had won out, you know, they controlled their own destiny. And, of course, they stumbled down the stretch. But in general, they were right there. It just was a few things here and there that were just missing from last year's team. And I think they've corrected those this offseason. Is there something that you still are unsure about or, or, or from the standpoint of you're not quite positive that they fully addressed it or that it's going to be um, miles better than, than maybe it was last year? Is there anything that's still kind of a burning question in your mind as far as a group or a side of the ball or a performance, what have you? I think this team still has quite a few question marks. And I mean, just because I can sit here and say that what I've seen from Blake Chapin is really positive and that, you know, things look really good and everything the coaches have said have been positive. But, you know, when you get in the heat of a game, you know, is he going to be able to thrive in those clutch moments? We'll see. We've seen him do it in the past in the Big 12 championship, but we've also seen, you know, at times he came up short a couple times last year and it wasn't all his fault, obviously, you know, the receivers and even sometimes the offensive line as well were inconsistent, but obviously most people are going to put it all on the quarterback. And so Blake Shapin does need to play better and take a big step forward this upcoming season. So that's one part of it. You know, I think the other part is more so just the idea of the transfer portal, right? Because you look at the transfer portal, you look at all the additions that Baylor has, and that's great. You know, you look at them and you see that they're perfect fits at, at some positions for Baylor. But these things still have to come together, right? It, it's not like you're going to hit 100% in the transfer portal, but you got to be pretty close because any guy that you bring in in the transfer portal is taking up a spot from someone already on the roster, someone, you know, maybe no longer on the roster. So I think that's the other part of it. it it's, you know, the quarterback play, making sure that that goes from, you know, middle of the pack to maybe that upper echelon top five type range and then it's the transfers do they all gel uh, cohesively and does everything come together for them you know a lot of them their first year at Baylor so would it be helpful although everybody usually well not everybody based on attrition and injuries that you play somebody a little bit later in the year but how how uh, intriguing is it they get Utah in week two cam rising or not and we know that how good they have been but how much does that kind of give you a barometer? And then you turn around and a couple of games after that, here comes Texas with all of what they uh, people think about them. I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Because I think everyone in the nation and everyone who covers Baylor and Baylor fans as well, you know, you're going to know how good this team is after week four. I mean, you're point blank. You know, if they're three and one or they're four and oh, I mean, you got to be feeling pretty good about what Baylor could be. Uh, for the rest of the season. But if they start off two and two, uh, you're obviously going to have some question marks. Now, one thing I will say about that is if they do start two and two, and let's say Texas and Utah are both undefeated, I mean, those aren't bad losses, right? And it's not panic time, but I will say, you know, two and two, I think would be a little frustrating for Baylor. And I think it would be um, for the fans as well. So yeah, I mean, it gives you a nice barometer early in the season. You get both of them at home as well. So you feel like 
you know, you got to protect home field advantage, which was something uh, they didn't do a great job of last year. And I know Dave and the staff really want to correct that this season. In fact, there's a comment that we'll have in a minute, a little bit later on, about that from today's media session. Well, look, three, three and one or four and zero oh out of those first four, Grayson, and I think, I mean, obviously, all bets are off when it comes to to what this team might have been able to shake off from a year ago. Oh, definitely. I mean, if they start, I mean, if they start four and zero with a win over Texas, you're probably looking at them as, you know, I, I think a lot of people would classify Baylor as the favorite to make it to the Big 12 championship at that point, right? Because you already have a win over the team that's the favorite going into the season. And then you look at their schedule going forward, and they still would have a lot more home games on the slate as well. And then as far as if, you, if you're able to beat Utah as well during that span, and you have a win over Texas, I mean, Baylor would probably be hovering between 10 and 15 in the rankings as well. So expectations would certainly get higher if you're 4-0. And if you're 3-1, and one, you're squarely a top 25 team as well. So the expectations will still be there if you start 3-1, and one, which, again, I believe they should start at least 3-1. and one. you got to take advantage of these type of opportunities, especially at home. Is the cornerback from Utah State on campus yet? And if he is, what is his status? Uh, jo- uh, is it uh, Johnny Carter? Yes, yeah, Johnny Carter. So everything I've heard is that he has arrived. He was on, uh, he posted on his Instagram story as well. So it does look like he is in Waco at this time. Um, but I think there's still some things that have to be sorted out. The transfer portal, we've talked about this. It can sometimes take a couple of days. It can sometimes, you know, be the next day. Um, like Justin Sambu, the, the signee from Maine, he obviously arrived in Waco and then he was practicing within two days of arriving. Um, that hasn't quite happened for Ajani yet, um, but I do believe that will happen in the next few days, probably. Grayson Grunhafer, Sikkim365.com and 365 Sports, every Friday with us on this particular show. So, what is, in your opinion, the biggest unknown with this team? Is it the youth in the secondary? Uh, is it something else? What is the biggest unknown to you? I think it's definitely the secondary. And, I mean, you mentioned it right there. And I think that's the position that you have to look at because, you know, you're still waiting on making sure everything is figured out with the Johnny Carter. But more so on that, when he does arrive, you're looking at, what, about two weeks for him to kind of just be ready to go out there and play game one against Texas State. Um, You know, that's a lot to ask for, I feel like, even though he's an older guy, should be ready to go. Um, But then the other cornerbacks, I mean, there's a lot of questions. You know, Isaiah Dunson comes over from Miami, and he was good in the spring. I wouldn't say he was great. He never took over a starting job immediately when he got on campus. And then you have some older guys like Chateau Reed and Tevin Williams who are also doing well, but we haven't seen them really play at a high level consistently. So a lot of questions at corner. And then safety, also in the secondary uh, is really the only position that Baylor didn't address through the transfer portal this offseason. And I think a lot of people had questions as to why that was, um, but it's because they feel confident in, you know, the combo of Devin Lemire, Devin Bobby, and then you have Corey Gordon and Bryson Jackson at star, and then Alfonso Allen as well. And I, I think they feel really good about that core, but I do have concerns about the depth, if they do have injuries at the position. And then I also have concerns just, with Corey Gordon and Devin Bobby being young guys, are they really going to be able to play at a super consistent and high level all season long? 
I, I think that's a big question that everyone still has to have, even though I do think it's a very talented group who the coaches have clearly shown a lot of trust in. All right, Grayson, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Grayson Grunhafer, 365 Sports, with us on Baylor as they Dave Aranda will have that a little bit later in the show today. His comments about proving they can win or capture, at least protect their home turf at McLean Stadium. When we come back, Kansas State's Director of Athletics, Gene Taylor, on many things, college football landscape, the increasing size of the Big 12. He is on the College Football Playoff Committee. That is next, and this is 365 Sports. IdealMRI.com, Dr. Rob Maxey and his partners have a great business. A great business that can help you find out what is hurting you. Is it a muscle? Is it a ligament? Or maybe if it's not, maybe it's something else. What could it be? Why does your hurt hip like mine does occasionally, although it's been better the last couple of days? What's wrong with your lower back? And that does affect something else. They can find the evidence if there's some wear and tear, degeneration, what it might be. And the knee or the shoulder. If you have something that really hurts and your doctor wants you to get an MRI, you suggest Ideal MRI. In fact, I was talking to a doctor earlier this week about that, and he said, listen, I'll set you up. Let me know, and I'll turn in the MRI request at IdealMRI.com. Still haven't done that yet because I'm waiting to have a secondary opinion with another doctor. This is a great place for you to find out what hurts, and $497 is the top price, the every price. In fact, some Sometimes it can be less, and the average is $1,100 around the country. IdealMRI.com in the Central Texas Marketplace off I-35 in Waco. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC an equal housing lender. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at TexasBeefHouse.com. Samantha Duvall joins us. She's the marketing director who knows all of the specials and also the events coming up. And thank you very much, as always, for your time. So all of these holidays are over. We've hit the meat of, literally, of the summer. And your thoughts about as you hit the month of August and into football season, Samantha? Football season's right around the corner, so- means it's perfect time for tailgating and um, the best time to grab our hamburger patties is right now through the end of july we still have our sale going on with our regular patties and our jalapeno and cheese patties they're 12 dollars a package so that's four patties to a package it's perfect for the time for football gather all your family around that way you can grill it up 
Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu and how they age it as well. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for, try the sick of sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. Did you know that one out of every four men have symptomatic low levels of testosterone and don't even know it? And if you think you're too young to worry about it, guess again. Low T levels can make you feel tired and grumpy, raise your cholesterol, and cause weight gain. Petty Clinic Low T can set up same-day blood screening and results. So if you're tired of being tired, call or go online at PettyClinicLowT.com. It's a private clinic with an atmosphere catering to men. Affordable, only $165 a month, including lab work, office consultation, testosterone injections, and follow-up visits compared to $300 or more a month in Dallas or Austin, and you don't have to drive 90 miles one way or the other and fight the traffic. Petty Clinic Low T has board-certified physician consultations and will provide the best form of brand-strength testosterone. Contact Petty Clinic Low T for increased energy, improvement in sexual desire and performance, mood, concentration, even a decrease in body and belly fat. Just off Highway 84 and Old Hewitt Drive in Woodway, PettyClinicLowT.com. is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Kansas State Director of Athletics, Gene Taylor with us, also a member of the College Football Playoff Committee here on 365 Sports. And every time we talk to you, it seems like something's changed in a lot of great ways for the Big 12. But the last time we saw you or spoke with you, uh, there are four new teams. And I know that's now been a couple of weeks or so. How much is too much? And is this kind of the number you guys always wanted to be at? Yeah, you know, I don't know that we ever really had a number that we talked about specifically, you know, in all the process. Obviously, it was more strategy about the what ifs, right? Um, What was the Pac-12 going to do? If we had a chance, who would we want, you know, out of the Pac-12? Where, you know, where did we want to go? And obviously, some of it happened just because of, you know, what happened in the Big 12. I mean, I think Colorado was, was an early focus uh, for both Brett and, and all of us. I think they were the one that showed the, the earliest interest. And then, you know, I think once uh, once the Oregon-Washington thing happened, it just it just made so much sense. And, and there had been some conversations, I believe, with Arizona in particular. Um, so I think it wasn't like, okay, we have to get to 16, we have to get to 18. I think we'd have been fine at 14. Uh, obviously, typically want a, a, an even number. Um, and I think we'd have been fine at 12 uh, for, for right now. I think we'd have still been probably – evaluating what was out there but I, I think we're good i really do uh, i think we've i think brett's come out publicly and said that and and i think for right now i think we're in a good place gene what's it like to have been on the offensive during this cycle 
ever since Texas OU, and even in the past with other changes in the conference, where there were times where everybody had to look around and go, okay, what about us, and are we going to make it? Um, we've spoken with you before. What's it like to have been on the offensive rather than reactive or on the defense? It's funny you, you say that because I, it's, you know there's, there's some sadness to this too, right? Yeah. Um, I know exactly how the ADs feel at Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal because I was one of those ADs that felt that way two years ago when, as you mentioned, people were talking about where everybody was going and, and Kansas State and a couple other schools weren't in that mix. And it's a very empty feeling that you get frustrated, you get scared, you get angry, all the things that's coming out of those schools. And that's the sad part about it. So as, as I was happy to be on the aggressor and, and be the one that we were in a little bit much better position, it, I felt bad because I knew where those athletic directors and those programs, what they're facing. And it's, it's, it, it is a sad deal. They're great programs, great ABs. Um, but it, it feels a lot better in the chair I'm sitting in now than I was a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, many of the Big 12 schools, because it, there is a narrative, and, and, and it's kind of lazy, at, at the blue bloods, and who's going to survive the next? You know, it's like we can never relax. No one can ever just, like, take a deep breath, because there's even now with what may be happening with the remaining Pac-12, the Mountain West. We had Gloria Navarro's on yesterday, the ACC. And so do you feel like... Kansas State and a lot of schools in the Big 12 have always had the like, hey, this is who we are, that you can't relax, but do you still have to constantly make sure you're on edge, making sure you're doing everything for the future of what it means for K-State and the Big 12? Yeah, I think you do. I mean, I think if you do get, if you do relax and you get too comfortable, then, you know, you're going to be caught off guard a little bit. And, and, and I think that's what Brett brings to the table as our commissioner is just some really innovative and creative things to keep us in the forefront, both maybe not even with, with new schools. It's just, you know, the marketing side, the branding side, um, you know, halftime entertainment at, 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 at Big 12 championships and all the things that we're doing uh, as a conference. I think those are really innovative and creative, and I think you have to do that a lot. And I think it also brings recognition uh, from, from athletes that say, hey, the Big 12 is maybe a place that I want to compete in. You are on the college football playoff committee. We know that it's about to go to 12, and it was amazing for the longest time. There was nothing, and then the BCS, and then there's now four. Uh, there's always the concern about who's going to get the opportunity. Everybody right now seems like they're going to have a chance when they start workouts in August. Going to 12, would that increase the opportunities, not just because of the number? Or is there a concern that because of what might happen with an autonomy five like the Pac-12, that there's going to be a turf war on who gets maybe that other spot? Well, that's, you know, obviously we don't get to make that decision necessarily in the committee that I'm on, the selection committee, but I know that's a conversation that the commissioners um, with Bill Hancock are going to be having is the the original intent was to have six uh, conference champions and six at large. Um, and I think it was going to be the six highest rated conference champions and then the six at large schools. Now that, you know, if the Pac-12 doesn't survive, uh, <clears throat> is it a five and seven deal? Is it a, you know, I'm not sure what, what they're going to do. Um, from a selection standpoint and who gets in, you know, we, uh, because we just, we just I actually met a couple weeks ago, um, 
and we we we've kind of indoctrinate the new members, and we go through our selection process. We did a evaluation of what the 12 field would look like compared off of last year's team. And it's still, the system is going to be the same because we do that even every year. We rank the top 25, obviously. Uh, it's just going to be a real challenge to figure out because the resumes, it, it particularly 7 through 15, 16, 17, 18, look very similar. And how do you, you know, how do you get them down to 12? Um, so I think the selection process isn't going to change in terms of how we evaluate teams, whether it's six and six or five and seven. That's that's a decision uh, that, that the commissioners will make. So uh, you brought up Brett Yormark, and he's obviously the topic of discussion with what he's done in, in, in just over a year. All of the, the energy that he has brought, along with everybody who's a part of the Big 12, when he first came up as someone who was a candidate, to replace Bob Bowlesby, what was your initial impression or what did you actually know about him? And has it been so much more than you ever thought? So it's a funny story. I was actually in Vegas. I'll never forget this. And it broke that he was our commissioner. It was not that <laughs> I was tracking. And one of the you know writers asked me, do you know who your mark is? I said, I have no idea. Um, because it wasn't a collegiate name. It wasn't somebody from the, the traditional. So when I looked him up and read his resume, I'm like, whoa, this is impressive. This guy's impressive. Never met him from uh, Adam, right? And and then the first time I met him, uh, I knew we better strap it on because he, he was bringing a lot of energy. His, his mind works in a very different way than on the traditional athletic director or conference uh, property staff. And he, he brought a lot of energy. And it's probably been more than – not more than I expected, but I knew we were gonna, we weren't gonna be sitting idle over his leadership. How much did the breath of fresh air kind of at times maybe energize the Big Twelve? And not that it was stuck in the mud, but sometimes people just don't like to get outside the box. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and I've said this before. I think all of us ads um, in particular, we kind of, you know, we we kind of do things a certain way. We've been doing it a long time, and we you know we have our focus. And to, to get, you know, the way Brett thought about things, whether it was, you know, the TV deal and people that he knew in the business and the industry, um, how he looked at it from a marketing and branding perspective, it was fun. It was fun to go through it. it he challenged us uh, to think differently. Um, and and the great thing about Brett is, you know, he was very respectful. He knew he wasn't a college guy, right? He knew what he didn't know, but he was going to challenge us to a point where, uh, if we push back enough, he'd be like, okay, I'll, let's look at something else. Mm-hmm. But he really puts it out there, wants our opinion, wants us to say, hey, Brett, this doesn't work or is going to work. But he does make us think very differently, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. So what is uh, uh, the discussion now that the conference will be 14 this year, 16 starting next year? What are your thoughts, Gene? Gene Taylor, Director of Athletics at Kansas State with us, 365 Sports on uh, making sure that the schedule doesn't get out of whack where sometimes one year it's a little uneven with the competition of who you're playing because it was you get to play everybody. It was the, it truly a, everybody played everybody, and then there was a championship game. Do you want it to be pods, divisions? How do you want to see this in the starting next year with 16 teams? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. We are probably just starting that process now and having those conversations. We met a little bit. We were in Dallas yesterday for some meetings. We met. There's scheduling committees. There's two basketball committees, men and women's, and then there's a football committee, and then 
um, I'm on the football one. So we just really started to have, what does that look like? And, you know, I think you, you talk about, you know, protected rivalries, you know, who you're going to always want to play every year. Um, at the end of the day, I think our goal uh, as a conference is to put a schedule together that at the end of the season, we've got the two best teams playing for the championship in as fair a way as possible so that hopefully we have as many teams as possible given to the 12-team playoffs. So I think if that's our end result, how we get there, I think we can look at a lot of different models. But our, our number one goal is how do we best put the two best teams in the conference and in, in the conference championship so both of those teams have a chance to be considered for the playoff expansion. And if we do that, then how we get there, I think is going to be a, a, a fun conversation, but it'll be an interesting one. Kansas uh, State has the longest like among the top 10 longest running rivalries in football with KU, Iowa State, it was for a while with Nebraska till they left, and now you're going to have Colorado back in the conference. Is there a concern at all? Does, do rivalry, you mentioned that as far as the schedule, but do rival, are, they, are, are we seeing more and more disintegrate, and is that kind of the, the tough part of realignment? Well, you know, you kind of, there's two ways to look at it. One, I think there are probably have been some schools that have played each other a long time every year. Um, you know, but I also see an opportunity for our fans to see some new teams and maybe mm-hmm. you know, to build some new rivalries. I mean, you know, imagine Arizona from a basketball perspective coming into our, our places that have great fan support. Arizona is going to come in and, and maybe, you know, haven't seen that kind of energy, you know, except maybe at McHale and, and so there's going to be some new things. Uh, you know, I look at the Big Ten and, you know, I know obviously Michigan, Michigan State play every year, Michigan, Ohio. But, you know, they're, you know Iowa, when I was at Iowa, we didn't play Michigan every year. We didn't play Penn State. and But you, it, everybody was okay with it. Obviously, they played Iowa State. So I think if you protect those long-standing ones, you may be create some new ones. But, yeah, I mean, I think everybody looks at it a little differently. And, and, and to me, I think as long as we, again, put together a schedule that's interesting and, your fans still can stay engaged and, and still keep the, the, the really top rivals together. I think that's the most important thing. Where are you now with discussions on your uh, uniforms and shoes with Nike? I know that others <laughs> would love to be a part of Kansas State, but I also know that it's kind of a hot topic right now with K-State. Yeah, we're at a point where we've got to make a decision here pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's a certain order windows that start for the 2024 season. Our contract with Nike ends in in June of 24. So we've got a decision to make. We've been evaluating this the last several weeks and uh, we're probably pretty close to, you know, pulling the trigger and, and getting it done. And probably within the next several days, uh, we'll have an answer. We'll have an answer. How much of that gene, just the inside part of business without getting too many details uh, is also important to someone like Jerome Tang, who's had a great relationship with Nike. Well, that's all a part of it, right? You you have coaches that have uh, a familiarity with a certain brand. Uh, there are some rec- recruiting things that come into the discussion. Obviously, uh, you know, I think the quality of the product is I, I do think, you know, no matter what group is out there, they all have a great product. You know, some somebody has better shoes or in this sport or that sport. I mean, that, that's always part of the conversation. Um, and then there's some, you know, coaches that have been with a certain brand for a long time. So, besides just the dollars and cents of it, all of that comes into play. And it's very, very important as a part of the decision as to, to where coaches are 
uh, and athletes too. But at the end of the day, the athletes have a big, you know, they, they're a big part of it as well. So there's a lot that goes into that conversation. It's good to be able to have options and then we'll see what, what we come up with. When you were in Dallas at, at the Big 12 meetings, was realignment even much of a discussion compared to perhaps the last year or two as far as on the radar? Well, it, it kind of was. It wasn't probably as much as it was, you know, obviously, <laughs> if you think about it, we, we had the media day and then a couple of days later, Oklahoma and Texas announced. So that cut, you know, mm-hmm. uh, last year, obviously it was because we'd already knew that Cincinnati, I think this year was, there was just that question of what was the Pac-12 going to do? Were they going to stay together? Were they going to come up with, with a, uh, you know, a media package that, you know, that everybody would have been able to stay together. And if not, what was next, right? And so that was really kind of the conversation. It wasn't like, okay, hey, we're, you know, we're going to go after this school, this school, or that school. It was more about stay tuned to what the big Pac-12 does. That's going to potentially change the marketplace a great deal. Last thing, Gene, and we appreciate your time, is that you have these new four, and then there's like the second wave coming next year. One of the things I loved about when there was the post-Texas OU, like, oh, my goodness, what happens? The eight teams were as tight and together as I think the conference has ever been. Do you still feel that way with some of the new incoming schools from the Pac-12 who may have rightfully so tried to protect where they were and the conference they were in, but is everybody, you think, on the same page the way you were post-Texas OU? Well, you know, obviously it's been fun because you're right, the eight have been tight, and we've been tight uh, almost pretty much from day one. But, you know, there was obviously some people looking, but once we realized that we were going to be all eight, that we, we really galvanized each other, both of them and the pres- presidents and chancellors to the, to the ADs. Um, then the four new schools came in. We brought them in early before they even had a chance to vote, so we got to know them, and they became part of that galvanization, so to speak. Um, and we met for the first time with uh, with well hello there there was Gene Taylor and uh, not sure what happened there but the interview cut off and so we will see what the issue is there but uh, in the meantime we'll take a break and I'll tell you about Richard Car Motors and uh, let you know that right now and if you've driven by on Highway 6 uh, in Waco you know how torn up the roads are and uh, how messy uh, it all is over there on Highway 6 with construction everywhere you look. So right now, Richard Carr, right in the midst of that construction, is trying to make uh, buying a car a little bit easier since getting over to them is a little bit harder. Right now, most 2023 GMC Sierra 1500s discounted thousands of dollars. Qualified buyers can finance for 0.9%. And with dozens of Sierras on the lot, they have the inventory, the price, and the financing to get you into a new GMC Sierra today. They also have the number one ranked overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers uh, with the Buick lineup of SUVs. Right now, save $3,250 on the new 2023 Buick Encore GX. Plus, qualified buyers get 1.9% financing and no payments until 2024. And they also have a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks as well, many of them under $25,000 if you're not looking to buy the new cars uh, or if that's not the route that you're looking to go. And their financing philosophy, whether it's new or pre-owned, 
loaned is 100% credit approval. They say yes when others say no. So that's if you're looking to get into a vehicle, but if you're just looking to uh, get the vehicle that you already are in, uh, you want to make sure that it drives longer or that it gets repaired or gets the tires changed, oil changed, all that kind of stuff. Well, their award-winning service department is standing by to keep you on the road to service your car or truck. Uh, as again, they remain the people that you can count on for your, all, all of your automotive needs. In business for 24 years in Central Texas, they, they are run by proud Central Texans and proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. How did Edward Jones become one of the biggest financial service companies in the world? By not acting that way. Financial strategies, one-on-one advice, it's a big difference. And that's why Brad Wilson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, makes sense of investing. Experience the difference for yourself. Brad Wilson, 250 Sharon Drive in Woodway, 254-776-4337. Edward Jones, member SIPC. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, over 600,000 words in the dictionary, and just three of them said together can change everything. Let's order pizza. Those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on Marco's Pizza that'll blow your mind. So visit Marco's.com to order and stop by Marco's Pizza in Bellmead, China Spring, Woodway, and in Robinson. Marco's. Pizza lovers get it. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon wrap fillets to T-bone to bone-in ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef, and chicken fajitas, and always large briskets available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and family tradition of the Bauer family continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, open Monday through Saturday, a full-service butcher shop and bakery available. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. Automatic Chef Canteen is a full-service micro-market vending and office coffee provider with state-of-the-art vending equipment, a wide variety of products, and offering custom-fitted micro-market vending office coffee solutions for your employee break room. You want a full break room solution and a workplace oasis? Well, Automatic Chef Canteen, locally owned and operated for over 50 years in Central Texas, also includes in-house mechanics on call 24-7 for fast, reliable service and maintenance. Automatic Chef Canteen, 6900 Imperial Drive in Waco or online at automaticchefcanteen.com. 
Don Humidor, your home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year aging room, Quattro Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley, Don Schumanor in the Talwood Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254-339-1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco. A hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. Ross Dellinger is with us, Yahoo Sports. And we were just talking about this in the break, what Ross has brought to Yahoo Sports and Gives them a lot of oomph with, when it comes to college athletics and a lot more. Ross, thank you for your time. Where, in your opinion, is the Cal and Stanford and whatever with SMU and the ACC at this particular time? Oh, yeah, great question. It's kind of going back and forth this week. Um, you know, I, I think right now it's still a no. Uh, I think the four the four schools uh, that are that are blocking this from happening they need you know they need 12 votes of the 15 they got 11 votes of the 15 uh there are four against it they're still against it from what i understand and this week there was a lot of talk um and i wrote about it wednesday night a little bit stanford has kind of a a new financial proposal that mirrors the one i think smu proposed which is to come into the league um without taking a share for a few years uh you know, it, it, I think it changes somewhat the calculus um, of how much current ACC teams could make, could earn, you know, an additional revenue. But I don't think it's going to be enough, or at least right now, it, it doesn't sound like it's convinced anybody to change their mind. Would, would it convince anybody, would the dollar figure be enough to convince everybody to change their mind and not say anything, say, two or three years from now, um, even like I'm talking about Florida state here, would they shut up if it was $15 million more or does it need to be $25 million more? Well, so the way the math kind of breaks down um, is that each share, you know, the, the ACC contract has a pro rata clause in there where ESPN has to give, a tier one share it's called for each additional expansion member. It's actually required in the contract. Um, And and a share, a tier one share is about $24 million. So that's three payments, right? Three extra payments of $24 million. That's $72 million of new money into the league. Uh, If SMU and Stanford aren't taking any, uh, money for maybe at least four or five years up to, I guess, as much as seven in SMU, SMU's case, that extra money, and maybe Cal takes a reduction, you know, that extra money, which is around probably at that point, you go from 72, maybe you go down to 60. Again, you pay Cal or, or however else that money is distributed, but they get you to about 60 million, right, for everybody else. Well, it's 2 million per school, roughly, for travel costs, to offset travel costs. 
then that gets you to 35 million of new money. If you evenly distribute that, that's two and a half million, roughly two to two and a half million per school. I think you'd find a lot of schools and certainly the four against it, against this expansion say that's not enough, right? Annually getting 2 million extra dollars to go across the country um, is, is just, it's not enough. It's not worth it. Ross, uh, out west, and obviously this has to do with, with the ACC as well to some extent. Is it ACC or bust uh, for Cal or Stanford? And just what do you make of, I, I guess, you know, Oregon State and Washington State just kind of having to sit back and watch things unfold? Where Where is the pack right now, so to speak, um, in whatever that may look like moving forward? Yeah, the situation with Stanford is kind of leaving Oregon State and Washington State in a sort of waiting game. Um because their top option, I think Oregon State and Washington State, would be to rebuild the Pac-12. Um, you take the four teams, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, and you add, you know, three to four. You need to get up to eight. Eight is an FBS conference, so you need to get up to eight. Um, so you need to add four. You need to add four in some way. Maybe you take three or four Mountain uh, three or four uh, AAC schools, in the American Athletic Conference, maybe you take one or two from the Mountain West. The problem with all that is the Mountain West has a very steep exit fee for next year. Um, it's $34 million a school. Um, the, the American has an exit fee of their own. It's negotiable, but it's probably going to at least be $15 million a school. Um, so it's just tough. Right. It, and it, what happens to all the legal issues going on with the Pac-12? They owe money to the to Comcast. Uh, they have a couple lawsuits. So, you know, rebuilding the Pac-12 is an option uh, if Stanford and Cal, uh, you know, don't go into the ACC. Uh, then that is an option. The other option would be Stanford just goes independent in 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 Oregon State and Washington State and Cal would either go to the Mountain West or the American, which is expressed certainly pretty serious interest in them. So those are kind of, you know, if the ACC doesn't work out, which it doesn't, at least as of now, look like it will, um, but things can change. Uh, they're still having the conversations. But if it doesn't work out, th- those are really your two options. It's rebuild the Pac-12, or it is probably Stanford Independence and the rest to the Mountain West or the Americans. I saw this note in Dan Wetzel, who works with Yahoo. A new Missouri law allows... Missouri high school stars to begin receiving NIL money when they sign with an in-state school. If they sign with an out-of-state school, they have to wait until they enroll. And I saw your response, and SEC administrators are not happy about it. Yeah, that's a, it's a kind of an ongoing saga where uh, state laws, NIL laws, are uh, evolving and changing, right? Schools in in certain states are petitioning their lawmakers. And I think this happened there in Texas actually mm-hmm. um, are petitioning their lawmakers to change state NIL laws, making it more, uh, make giving them more of an advantage in their state uh, over other states. And Missouri's done it. Texas has done it. Oklahoma, I believe has done it. Arkansas, I think as well. Other states are following. And that, that story I, I tweeted out with Dan's story is back from back in May at SEC spring meetings where it was a big topic. Um, and, and SEC administrators at plenty other schools are certainly a concern. It would be one way to put it uh, at uh, the disadvantage that they have 
because their state laws haven't changed yet. Uh, and you know, these are little, probably little advantage, smaller advantages. Um, but I'll say the Missouri one is a little bigger. It's a little more significant. Any basically, their state law is different from from many others in that any in-state Missouri high school prospect, uh, if that prospect signs with an in-state school, he or she can begin earning NIL in high school um, immediately. And uh, if you sign, if a Missouri player signs with an out-of-state school, they cannot immediately earn NIL. You can see how that would be an advantage. Ross, uh, and that leads to the national legislation question. Do you feel that realignment has maybe put a damper on any of that moving forward? Um, I, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, I think, for instance, like Greg Sankey of the SEC has, has said he doesn't believe that it will really impact um, the NCAA and college leaders' fight for NIL legislation from Congress. Then you talk to others and they say it absolutely will and has, you know, the whole basis around college, college leaders going to Congress for an NIL bill is partly to do with the money, right? The money out there uh, being distributed to athletes, being taken away, donors pulling their money maybe from athletic department giving and giving it to NIL. Um, So college leaders, you know, want uh, that to be at least some kind of framework about around that. They want state laws to be thrown out basically. And they want a federal bill to, to kind of um, have legislation all be uniform. Uh, and so if you're sitting there and you're, you know, you're moving around conferences, right. Uh, for basically for money, for TV money, cause it's certainly not for geographical purposes. Um, then I think it becomes harder to, to argue really anything with with Congress. And that's the situation that college sports is in. Including realignment, Ross, does that have unintended consequences as far as the overall view and and uh, and kind of how things operate because you're arguing one thing and meanwhile here are schools flying cross-country now all of a sudden for a few extra million? Like how does realignment play into some of the NCAA stance and, and some of the anti, anti-NCAA stance, if you will? Well, yeah, and that's a great point. That's that's really the main point here. I left off when I was talking, uh, answering the, the last question is the the health and welfare, well being argument for student athletes that the NCAA and college leaders like to use with Congress. Um, it, you know, kind of can be thrown out the window when you think about that. You'll have uh, you know the University of Washington playing Rutgers uh, in a conference game, or you have. U, UF, UCF uh, playing Arizona in a conference game. And, you know, those, the, the whole well-being for student-athletes uh, uh, kind of gets tossed out the window, that argument. And you can bet that in the next NIL hearing on Capitol Hill, which is coming, I, I believe this fall, we'll have another hearing or so on Capitol Hill that that will come up. Last thing uh, from me, Ross, you uh, had the article about Condoleezza Rice, President Bush, and campaigning or at least trying to throw support for Condoleezza, her alma mater, and George Bush, Laura's alma mater, or his library rest. Uh, 
Did you get a chance to, that they, did you ask for a quote from either one of them? And just how unique is that story that those, those are two big names involved in what's going on right now? They are. I, I did, I did reach out to Condoleezza Lisa Rice's, uh, uh, press secretary and, uh, I didn't, did not get any kind of quote. I got a response, but, uh, they're, I think they're still working on it. I'd ask for an interview actually with her because I wanted to hear, you know, kind of Lisa Rice is, is certainly has been involved in college sports for a while as she was in charge of the Rice report after the basketball situation. Um, so I, I kind of wanted her take, uh, on what's happening in college sports, especially to, a place like Stanford where she is a professor and, and kind of um, leads uh, their, their Hoover. I think it's the Hoover Institute there. So um, we'll see. It, it, we'll see if, if they grant me that, um, that interview at some point, because I'd be interested to hear what, what she has to say, but you're right. You know, those are two big names. I, I don't think, you know, they're going to change minds really. Um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I just, I think it's all about the money figure. It's all about the revenue distribution figure, uh, two to two and a half million of, of additional revenue for these schools on this expansion plan um, is, is probably not enough. And then the second part of that is how is that revenue distributed? How is the current TV revenue in the ACC distributed? Florida State and Clemson, they've been very outspoken about this. They want the revenue distribution model change now they changed it a little bit but they want the tv portion of the money to be unevenly distributed and they want it to be based on athletic success and tv viewership even and that's really at the crux of all of it ross be remiss but ask you all about the big 12 they obviously got what they wanted in the end with the four corner schools and we talked to you uh, you know a million times along the way and you know, now that that's settled, we've talked to, to Gene Taylor and Kirby Hocutt and Mac Rhodes and, and a couple of other ADs, and they all seem to be pretty happy with, with where they are right now. Um, all having those said, like, yeah, we're looking at, you know, the East Coast and seeing what's going on out there, but just what kind of sense do you get from them? Do you think that they're content with where they are, and now it's just a matter of, hey, if something happens, we'll be ready, but other than that, they're kind of uh, fat and happy after this latest get of the Four Corners? Yeah, I think that uh, the the kind of the uh, reception that, that I've gotten from a lot of folks in the Big Twelve is is that they're good. You know, they're good at sixteen. They're, they're plenty big there. Uh, they're happy with the group they got. Uh, they're somewhat, you know, outside of a couple schools. They're somewhat geographical, I think, uh, in, in nature. And um, I, you know, I, I think it's a good group of schools. The the and, and I don't think they're yeah, interested in, um, I don't think they ever were really, once they added the four, I know there were a lot of reports out there, but once they added the four, it was made pretty clear to me that they were, they were done and, and, and weren't interested in, in, uh, in expanding anymore. Um, and, and I think that's probably wise. I think 16 is plenty enough and there will always be a chance to expand again down the, down the line. But the big 12 is, um, even before the four, the new the new four, um, it's a really exciting league. Uh, it's it's from top to bottom, it's got to have the most parity of any conference in the country. And and last year, I think 
we kind of saw that even before the new four come in. We, we saw that. Uh, we saw that really on any given day in the Big 12, anybody can beat anybody. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't this bottom tier or top tier. So it's, uh, it's definitely it's an exciting time uh, in the Big 12, and they certainly have a commissioner that has come in at a perfect time to, to be aggressive and, and do what he did. Thank you, uh, uh, Ross. Recharge the energies because college football has more stories coming your way sometime here in the next 24 to 48 hours. You know that, and you do a great job of covering it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Ross Dellinger, SI.com with us. Oh, excuse me, Yahoo. Uh, Yahoo Sports with us on 365 Sports. Yeah, good to just kind of catch up with him and just sort of you know reset. I mean, we talked to him 100 times over the last year and a half or so about what all was potentially happening and the speculation. And then, you know, obviously reporting here on our end or his end or whatever. And uh, just kind of nicely like, so just kind of just calm down a little bit. <laughs> like it's just, at least as far as the big 12 goes. And um, yeah, it's kind of nice that, yeah, we'll be able to turn our attention towards football season, but certainly always a, a lot of very interesting stories going on across the country. That Missouri thing is, that's just stupid. If, if, if you know, you start to go that route of, incentivizing NIL and high school to stay in state. Like, I just, I think we're getting to the point of like some people need new hobbies. I mean, go root for an NFL team for God's sakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like why does, I, I don't know. I mean, I know some things need to happen or overdue to have happened. NIL, for example, but like all the stuff that people warned you about or all the things that people are trying to enact to get these set advantages or have already done that. And I just think now you're trying to bend um, in-state players uh, to stay within state to, because you're going to give them money quicker than they would get it. Other, like, I, I don't know how legally you could really do that. It seems like there would be something problematic with that to begin with because how are you preventing somebody from making money right away because they do it outside of state line? Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit more complicated than just on the surface. And oh, I know yeah. it's not like Aren't a done they? deal by any yeah. means, but yeah. just the idea of it. I just think is that's where we're crossing this line of it's getting really silly of, of you know trying to um, find an advantage wherever you can and and I don't I don't really I mean there's a lot there's a lot of it that's you know okay fine it's it's part of it, it's the new way of doing things but you start doing stuff like that I just feel like what are we doing here like come on man well and in fact in that response or I guess in the write up is that if you if you go out of state. You have to wait until you enroll on campus. Yes. Wasn't that the original intent of NIL? It was not an inducement. It was value once you get on campus. It's yeah. kind of admitting that. It was never not- supposed to be an inducement. Yeah. But everybody knew, hey, this all it's going to be is going to be like basically uh, you can openly buy Eric Dickerson the Camaro and say where it came from. But, hey, he's sponsored by the dealership or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, if he's sponsored by a dealership, whatever. But, um, you know, now it's like it's just so open and out there and whatever. I mean, I, I saw an argument, and it was – it really just – it bummed me out. It was uh, – I think it was an Oklahoma reporter, and they missed out on a recruit, big big tackle or something. And the the aftermath of that conversation was uh, these two guys talking about, like, where Oklahoma is in the NIL space, and it became about how they're – you know, and I know that's part of the conversation, how you're spinning compared, but it wasn't even about, like – whether or not they're doing it was like it, it, it was a conversation about the NIL what did they say? strategy itself. It was just saying like, oh, you've got plenty of NIL money and it's blah, blah, blah. But and it just became this argument him? about NIL. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care about stupid NIL arguments because you missed out on this recruit. That's not why I like college football. And if that's like the standard thing now where we start bitching and moaning about like this collective versus that, like that, I, I just lose interest in that. Was the personally. response basically like this? Can we afford somebody else? 
yeah, it was like, the, you know, OU's got a problem because they've swung and missed on a couple guys. And so then the argument is, well, no, they've got plenty. It's just, you know, this is a unique scenario. And I'm just like, we're yeah. really debating NIL collectives now. Well, yeah, I just, I don't know. And I do think that you we kind of worry about, I mean, it's a, it, and it's certainly an issue, but there's, of all the big time recruits, there's only a few of them that'll be able to demand, you know, the like ridiculous Jaden Rashada type things. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only a few that will be able to do that. And then there's a few more on the level below and, and, and on, on down the line. But for the majority of recruits, they're just going to ask because, I mean, if you could get some money, you should ask for money, right? Don't, don't go anywhere for free if you don't have to. But ultimately, you're going to go where you want to go. And here's the other thing. Most of the schools that are the big NIL schools are all going to have about the same kind of offer for you, give or take, or make things a certain way. So... Eventually, the cream's going to rise to the top and people are going to go where they want to go and get money where they're going to get money. So if you're worried because your school missed out on a couple, you don't need to start worrying until you keep hearing that, okay, why don't they go to the school? Well, they don't have NIL. They don't have NIL. They don't have NIL. But if you hear that, yeah, the NIL is fine, then don't worry about it. You're going to miss out on some anyway because now it's made a hyper-competitive marketplace even more hyper-competitive. It's like in the NFL, if you're up against a salary cap, you got to – restructure contracts with some guys and then it frees you up to go sign somebody else and it does seem like it's getting closer to that except at least there is a salary cap yeah like look i I think nil can be an interesting conversation but i think when it becomes like this huge point of contention and becomes like too much of the conversation that's where i have an issue so i found it and it was uh it's josh mcquishan from sooner scoop he had gotten a question from uh sooner saint he said can't pay a third of what Georgia, Ohio State, and Bama do and be surprised we're behind in recruiting, especially when we have the most expensive game day experience. It's almost like the admin isn't focused on winning natties in football. And, like, I get, like, there's always that sentiment of, like, the admin's – but, like, if we start to get in the debate of, like, we're paying this versus Georgia's paying – and, like, that's not fun. How is that fun? I, at least I don't think so. I don't know about you guys. No, Maybe I, you think that's a fun debate no, to have, I, but I, 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 we start arguing, like, who's spending more on recruits. I just think that kind of sucks Because we uh, really personally. don't know how much they are. I know that there's a side or two that are trying to guesstimate that, but, yeah, I – I think that goes that that just kind of not against the NIL. No, understand it. The but it is, it is becoming almost like a, a, a frenzy when the NFL opens yeah. up their free agency. All right, um, thank you uh, all for what you do every day when you join us. Whether it's the text line, which there are some new texts to two five four three three nine eleven twenty two, and also in the chat room. I have a question for you. We're going to come back with the Dave Aranda comment. Uh, we are going to give away, and I've mentioned this before, in our studio, the staff here, we're kind of stuck. So we want you to help us think outside the box. We're going to give away a $100 gift card to TexasBeefHouse.com, thanks to Kim Coulter and his extraordinary, uh, I guess you could say, giving. But we're going to do that once a week. How do you think we should decide that? It has to be someone who is a subscriber, and we would know that. We appreciate anybody watching us, but we're going to give away a $100 gift card starting not this next week, but the week after that, before the first full weekend in September. How do you think we should do that? It doesn't need to be a popularity contest. How do you think we should do that? Does it need to be some kind of pick them deal, or does it just need to be we put it up for a vote, uh, maybe not wait till Friday, but perhaps at the end of the show Thursday and have the results on Friday. Wide open to your thoughts and comments on it. This is 365 Sports.
Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat, Loop 340, east of 84 in Waco. Ted Teague, CEO, general manager, great staff. AJ is who sold me my car that I needed when I got it back in uh, July of 2020 after my Tahoe finally just eventually died, literally, after nearly 500,000 miles. And it is so nice to be able to start the car and knowing you're not so sure. It's nice to know that all the amenities inside, and there are a lot, in what I have with the Ford Explorer. But they have a staff that's going to find the right car for you, not just sell you a car. Right now, 90 days, no payments for the 2023 Jeep brand vehicles. That excludes the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer. 2.9% financing for 72 months in the 2023 Ram 1500 Lone Star, Bighorn, and Laramie trucks. 20% off MSRP on Lone Star and Bighorn crew cabs. Also, don't forget, they have Dodge Chargers and Challenger scat packs and Hellcats in stock ready for the road right now. The last call on these high-octane Hemis. Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram Fiat, Loop 340 and East of 84 in Waco. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa draft on they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Boozers, Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness offers over 40 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, indoor cycling, bar, silver sneakers, and more. If you haven't been to Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness lately, you're missing out on the improvements. New flooring in the weight room floor and locker rooms, new paint and mirrors added to the weight room and group exercise room, and many new machines have been added and arriving constantly 
Valley on the weight room floor. New free weights, weight machines, TRX, rowing machines, stationary bikes, new treadmills, new ellipticals on the spacious weight room floor. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Box, and welcome to Nathan Roach, where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow. A kids club included with your membership plus sauna, whirlpool, and tanning bed. 16 tennis courts plus a beautiful stadium court and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior Kenneth. Adult tennis lessons in clinics with Blake and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at WacoTennis.com or visit us at Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. Three sixty five sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Oh, the discussion in the chat room on what I brought up about the Texas Beef House one hundred dollar gift card thanks to Kim Coulter. One of the things we have to try to figure out, and we were just talking about this in the break, is a lot of you have suggested like picking games, etc. The problem with that is we're taking you out of the chat. We want to keep you in the chat to keep it within the chat during the actual show. Brent Zorneman, again, Houston Chronicle, covers Texas A&M and much more. And, you know, I reached out to you a few weeks back, and, of course, you started all this mess. You and your report about A&M, about Texas and the SEC, you began realignment hell. Do you go to sleep at night? Can you sleep well? I sleep like a baby, basically. (laughs) No, it's uh, I, you got to. Speaking of just chaos, I set my alarm to make sure I was ready to roll, and uh, the alarm goes off as soon as you start talking on my phone. The, uh, my wife and daughter just walked in the front door, so I'm headed out to the car. I'm going to sit out in the car, but yeah, it's been nuts. And and really, you know, that all stemmed, and we talked about this last time or a couple of years ago. That all stemmed from Arbo and Lofton. He's the one that started it back in 2011. July 21st, 2011, he said the, the Big 12 is in a state of uncertainty. And I know that's not a real popular voice to know, but that's a pretty good Lofton right there. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down, and I think it's still like my number one all-time tweet or right up there of Bowen Lofton saying the Big 12 is in a state of uncertainty. So 10 years later, in the dog days of summer, I'm looking for an anniversary story. And all that, that whole thing stemmed from that anniversary story of uh, – talking to some old contacts and they're like, Hey, and while you're at it, you need to check into Texas and Oklahoma want to go to the SEC. Really? And then I just happened, I happened to be at SEC media days and, and y'all know the rest. Right. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Well, that's great that you were working on something else that led to it. No question about it. So Brent, uh, from what you've seen that's happened now in the aftermath of USC and UCLA, the PAC 12 now crumbling, uh, you got to see this cause you've covered AM a long time. You covered them when they left the big 12 and the big 12 almost fell apart the first time you got to see the big 12 almost fall apart again and then revive itself. And then the PAC 12, look at that and learn zero things from it. What's your kind of take on how everything is shaking out this summer? It's crazy. I, I was, actually down in Houston yesterday and got to visit with Bill Hancock because they were doing something at Milby high school and, uh, you know, to, to signify how much the college football playoff helps out area teachers, you know, and whatever the host town happens to be. And he, he was just talking. I kind of felt the same way. He just kind of sad, really, you know, you kind of grew up on the, on the pac 12 or pac eight, whatever, you know, back in the day and so forth. And the, the way it's just 
unraveled so quickly. And you're like, are they really thinking all this through? But from from the A&M perspective, of course, and we've talked to Jimbo Fisher about this, they're, they feel like, you know, based on a decade ago and all the uncertainty, uh, they feel like, man, they, they're fortunate to be in this position of, of uh, you know, a comfort level when everything around them just seems to be chaos and to be in the SEC like that. And, of course, personally, man, I've been so happy that the Big 12, you know, I'm a fifth-generation Texan and grew up and watching the Southwest Conference. And the fact that the Big 12 – conferences not just survive but thrive has been has been really cool from that perspective but in terms of the pack you know it's like it's not just you know problems from the past few weeks it's problems from the past few years or past decade or so that has led to this and and i do think at some point as bill hancock was saying bottom line is people are still going to love college football and there's still going to be that playoff that people look forward to in in its you know very very basic uh part is going to be that college football is still going to be there and people are going to look forward to the playoff but there is a little bit of sadness around it as well Britt how has uh A&M you know opened up their arms to Texas and Oklahoma so to speak or at least the fans I mean I'm sure it was at least a shock but here we are a couple years later one more year to go before it's all back to normal with Oklahoma uh, with uh you know A&M playing Oklahoma playing Texas in particular um have folks kind of all along been on board has it taken some time to come along how would you just sort of describe A&M fans reactions to to all this madness and how it directly impacts them a couple of years ago, all the people, the Aggies, who were saying, oh, they don't want the game back and so forth, and why would they want to play the Longhorns that I'm sitting here thinking? Those are the same guys who will be first in line for the, for the, the, in the E-line for tickets uh, because they are passionate about it. And finally, when they realized it was inevitable, and that was my first thought when I heard that news you know, a couple of years ago, hey, the game's coming back. This is going to be awesome. You know, again, a game you grew up on on Thanksgiving and so forth. So, uh, West Bjork, the athlete, athletic director at AM, had told me early on, well, College Station is going to host uh, the first game, even though they hosted the last one as well as part of this whole deal. And based on all that, I think that kind of helped with the excitement, the idea that AM will be hosting Texas next year. And with the idea that, hey, they're not turning back, it's going to happen. I think Aggie fans have now embraced the idea that the rivalry is back. And I think they embraced it all along, even if they publicly didn't say so. I mean, you're, people are so passionate about it. Uh, and to say that they don't want the game means that they, in my mind, want the game. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad we don't have to ask about whether they'll ever, will, will they ever play again because it, it, it was just – it was sad that they weren't, and yet I understand the perspective of both. Now, with Jimbo Fisher coming off that what was a disaster last year because of all the expectations, and it seems like maybe I'm wrong, but from your perspective, you're there. Is it kind of nice for them right now? They're kind of just kind of flying under the radar? Yeah, they squeezed into the AP Top 25 at 23. And in the way Jimbo, I asked him about it last week, and he said, hey, you know, win games and that'll take care of itself. And that's exactly true. The, the past two years, they've started number six in the nation and finished unranked both years. And last year was, I mean, you know, only a couple of games into the season, you had a home loss to Appalachian State, lost six straight games for the first time in 50 years. So you're going back to the Emory Bullard era, you know, in the early 70s there. So some things that they're really trying to put behind them. But on the flip side, I think five of those seven games were by losses by an average of like four points. So if you add a touchdown, which they're really hoping new offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino can do, you add a touchdown, suddenly you're 10 and two. So I think they're, they're holding on to that. And to your point, 
kind of liking the idea that they feel like they're going to surprise some people. And, you know, a bunch of talent back, I mean, across the board, you lost a couple of really good defensive backs to the NFL, but past that, of course, Devon A-Chain, the running back to the NFL as well, but they should be stocked there with Ruben Owens, the new five-star running back on campus. So it, it, I, I picked – it's funny. I had them at eight and four over the summer, just kind of going down, looking at the schedule and saying eight and four. And then when we finally – we get to visit with the coordinators once a year, which is silly, but, but that's the way it is here. So we sat down with Bobby Petrino. And he was great. And it wasn't just, say, he's saying what people want to hear. He's very insightful about his plans for the offense and taking it over from Jimbo Fisher. And based on that, and I've never done this, guys, in 25 years of doing this. I actually added a win to, the, <laughs> to the, uh, my predicted schedule to go 9-3 and three based on an interview, hmm. based on the idea of how much Bobby Petrino seemed to grasp the situation that he had walked into. And I don't know that he's ever had this much talent to work with either. So I've got them at nine and three in the regular season right now. Well, Brent, you know this: A and M is is at their best when everybody thinks that they're going to be terrible. So yeah, and Jim, you know, Jimbo feels like he's got a lot to prove too. It's been now ten years since he won the national title at Florida State. Uh, he had the top four finish, which is hard to believe with all the resources that Texas A and M has that. Uh, they hadn't been in contention for a national title since 1939 when they won one. But their number four finish in 2020 was their highest since winning the national title. But then on the flip side, that was the COVID year. So they played 10 games, finished 9-1, and one, finished just outside the college football playoff at number five. So the idea is he has a lot to prove in what should be a, a normal regular season because the offense was decent that year, but he also had crowds at 25% or 50% as well. And, and the offense was a, was a going back to you, I think y'all's word there, disaster last year. So that's where uh, Petrino, you know, he was essentially Jimbo was forced to take in an offense coordinator, but he has now seemed to be, kind of be at that level of acceptance and saying, okay, this is the way it's going to be, and he can maybe turn his attention to other details of the program that really needed it. Brent, going back to the uh, summer of 2021, what was that like to be the one? It's not like you haven't reported or been first or broken stories before because you've been in this business a long time and you're where you are because of it. But what was that like? Did your phone just start blowing up? Did people like want to tell you you were wrong? What was that like? <laughs> that is, I, I still say the most unique story I've ever, because obviously that, that would have come out very soon, you know, at some point along the way. <laughs> the most unique story I've ever broken was the Dennis Franchoni secret newsletter oh. uh, story, the, the <laughs> VIP connection. Yeah. And, you know, essentially that was a mad booster they had signed all these, you know, uh, non-disclosure agreement, whatever. But, you know, essentially that was a, a mad booster. who was tired of Franchoni and hit forward on his on his <laughs> computer to send that to me, you know. But that's still the most unique because maybe to this day that wouldn't have come out. But on that day, I, I swear, it was so funny because the initial reaction was just going what you the way you described it, disbelief. I remember I was. Uh, it was at SEC Media Day, so we're in Bur- you know we're in Birmingham, and Paul Feinbaum asked me to come on his show immediately, and so I'm getting up there, and this guy that was walking off, and I think it was Roman Harper, he goes, and he had no idea who I was, and he's coming off the set, and he goes, man, I don't believe that story at all. I go, yeah, me neither, you know, and and he just kind of nodded like, yeah, yeah, who's the who's the fool who wrote that, you know, and, and so I get up on, and I. I 
relayed that story to Paul. I said, he doesn't believe it. And Paul's like, well, I'm still having trouble, you know, and everything. So, but bottom line, I mean, it, and the timing of it, that's what was so funny. Being at SEC Media Days, it wasn't, it was about that 10-year anniversary story. It wasn't about me, you know, trying to place calls to Greg Sankey from College Station, Texas, and saying, hey, we need to talk about this. It was a matter of me when I got word of that, going down and finding him on Radio Row and me saying, hey, we got to talk. Mm. And, you know, and my mom growing up always said God has a sense of humor because immediately I was faced with, you know, on, on shows people, well, obviously A&M had this orchestrated event. Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M athletics director, didn't even know about it. And he was there. So suddenly, you know, so it was nuts. But but I knew, uh, you know, it's one of those things I've, I've probably missed on quite a few stories over the years because I'm so cautious in my reporting because I know one bad turn on that sense yep. can, can be your career. I had rock solid sourcing on it and multiple and, and Greg Sankey, when he said, when, when I asked him about it, he said, well, you know, he started mouthing, who told you that? And I just kind of looked at him and he said, well, rumors are swirling. Well, the reaction we got from UT right at that same time was the quote, rumors are swirling. So they had, they had obviously talked before. Well, if anybody asked, just say rumors are swirling. Mm. <laughs> so the quotes yep. matched up. There were, there were so many stories from that day, but it was nuts. And to be in, but, and with A&M taking the podium when the story had broke, it had just broken. And that was another story because I couldn't get Wi-Fi in the hotel. People are saying, oh, they timed it towards A&M walking to the stage at the podium with Jimbo Fisher going up to the stage. No, I had been trying to get it posted, couldn't get Wi-Fi. I, I finally hit send on the story outside the Winfrey Hotel because I could finally get on my hotspot on my wow. phone and send it. So all of those things were just so funny, you know, in terms of, of that story. But yet the immediate reaction was, well, an orchestrated event by Texas A&M to get this word out at SEC Media Days. And it wasn't it wasn't that at all. It was me looking for a story in the dog days of summer. That's awesome. You just popped a bunch of conspiracy theorists, you know. Hearts. Yeah, terribly there. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was – that's just the way it went, man. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where I'm always careful to say, you know, when you start saying it wasn't this person, it wasn't that kid, you start narrowing down. But that's the way it played out. And I go back to what my mom said. God has a sense of humor. That was quite a day. Brent, I want to go back to the Coach Fran story real quick. Is that the silliest reason a coach has ever been fired? <laughs> they were looking for something. Yeah. And it's really interesting because what are we at now, 16 years later, mm-hmm. the one that, that kind of broke, the back for Fran was a, a not just a loss at Miami, but a terrible loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Aggies went in there and got pounded by Miami in a first-year coach. I think it was Randy Shannon at that point. And Fran, and whatever it was, his fifth or sixth year, at that point, he comes and he meets with us afterward, and he's very dejected, and he says, well, the exhibition season is over. Well, so you can imagine Aggies really took kindly to that because they had already, you know, essentially were out of the national championship race before it ever started early in the season. And to call it the exhibition season was something. And so then that story came about, but they were looking, and even the athletic director at that time, Bill Burns, they're all, they were all looking for a reason to get rid of Dennis Franchoni. And, and I think if I'm recalling, and now these numbers seem so small, which is crazy, but I think based on all of that, his buyout was reduced from eight point eight million to four point four million. They cut it in half, and then he exited. And they had Mike Sherman lined up because, you know, there was there were some people in power at that point that were enamored with Mike Sherman. But yes, they were looking for something. And I, I'm telling you, if obviously A and M was in contention, uh, you know, or in, in among the top five programs in the nation, first of all, that VIP connection, the secret newsletter, would not have come to light. 
And, and second of all, had it come to light, they would have said, oh, Dennis, come on now. You know, get rid of that. Okay, all right, let's move on to, uh, to Baylor next week or so forth. So, so yeah, but they 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 were looking for a reason to, to run him off at that point, and the the uh, secret newsletter provided that. Brent, thank you very much. Great going down the memory lane of what happened two years ago, and also what has happened since, and how that really went about uh, with the story. Because there are some uh, discrepancies, or not discrepancies. There are people with like their own conspiracy theories and all that, and you you just kind of let laid it out on the line for us to know, and we appreciate it. Great stuff when you do it. Anytime you do it, we appreciate your time. Absolutely. I appreciate y'all having me on. That was fun. Yeah, you, us too. Brent Zerneman, Houston Chronicle. And uh, the summer of 21, the summer of 22, and the summer of 23, back to back to back with uh, some crazy in realignment. Yeah. I, I still, I, I, I think he needs to go back and write. That could be a book, like, the dumbest way coaches have ever been fired or reasons. And they're all, the, like, the reason ultimately is the same is that most of the time when you get fired, it's either because you are just really bad or you're mediocre enough that you could theoretically stay, but they've got to find a reason, and they're going to find the – the reason to do it in the VIP newsletter where he was going to send you inside, inside information, which was, I guess, an NCAA violation uh, in and of itself, uh, albeit not a major, major one, but an, one that would uh, would have gotten it is kind of a silly one uh, to me. But, yeah, the realignment stuff and to hear that, no, this wasn't A&M floating the story to Brent because they were mad about it. This was him getting it before they even knew about yeah. it and not having Wi-Fi. <laughs> Doesn't that go to show you, though, like how things are twisted just yeah, right away? Absolutely. Like, all of a sudden, it was, oh, A&M's pissy, and they're, they're you know, trying to ruin the Oklahoma and Texas chance of, of getting into the SEC. And it's like, no, actually, it was just he got, you know, he got the uh, the seed planted, and, and he, he – poured water on it and watched it grow and then reported it. And, you know, it all happened very quickly, obviously. But it just goes to show you, like, you can – it's hard to believe anything you read anymore or to, to at least know what it re- like what deep down the truth really is of it, you know, because there's just agendas and there's, I guess, just this need for some people to not be painted in a certain light all the time. So, like, it had to be an Aggie trying to ruin this. It couldn't just be like, hey, a guy broke a story and it just so happens that he was an A&M reporter. Because that's all it was, but yeah. no, it was. It had to be a conspiracy, and it had to be, you know, power brokers trying to prevent. It's just it's so stupid. It's so stupid because sometimes it really is the simplest thing. But he got a huge scoop, and like you said, it wasn't even necessarily the biggest one because that Franciana newsletter one was pretty huge at the time. I remember that very well, and just how silly that was. Um, I remember meeting Dennis Francioni when former Lee High School running back Derek Farmer was taking a trip to Alabama because he was highly recruited. He ended up going to AM because Franchoni ended up there, how he was on the uh, Learjet to Alabama, the Crimson Side Learjet. So the year before that happened, with Franchoni getting fired, I was hosting a morning show, um, and we had Dave South on the show. And Dave South was the longtime voice of the Aggies. And Dave, Dave talked like this. I'm Dave South. Um, and... You can hear him on the Johnny Mantell documentary if you uh, if you go and watch it. But we had Dave South on, and I had been about a month before this interview at an A&M game sitting next to a guy I had met that day who was a huge A&M booster. 
and he he was vitriolic in his displeasure with Dennis Francione. And so I just asked him, he knew who I was, I told him who I was and what I did, and he kind of went and spilled his guts about how there are factions within the big money people like him of, you know, we've been done with him for a, a, about a year now, uh, there's other people who are in the, like, about to be done with him, and then there's people who just really like him. And so I asked Dave South, who I know worked for a was the voice of the Aggies, I said, you know, he's, Coach Fran has gotten, you know, very divided among some of the the bigger money people and that's got to be difficult to navigate but that year they were looking like they were going to have a team that was going to contend you know maybe for the big 12 title and they were that was the most talked about team they'd had and uh, Dave South just wouldn't hear it and it turns out they were neighbors and like fishing buddies and then Dave South never spoke to me again because I asked him that question about Dennis Francione and then right after I remember that and right after I said when Dave got off the air, I said, Dave paints a little rosier picture than I've heard, but that's fine. You know, he knows probably better than I do. And then somebody told him him that I called him a homer, and that's not what I said. And then every time I would see Dave, I would say hello, and he would not speak to me. Well, it, very mature. <laughs> it sounds like, yes. <laughs> well, he, yeah, I remember his voice growing up, but yeah, that's a little silly to handle things that way. When we come back, a few things to get to. Paul's top five around the corner. Dave Aranda today on something he wants to see the Baylor football team do from transferring what they do week in and week out to when they play games at home at McLean Stadium where there'll be eight games at home. Uh, Comments in the replay on 365 Sports from our segment with Mountain West Commissioner, Mountain West Conference Commissioner Gloria Navarez, the Knight Commission on their concerns with all this expansion and realignment and also thanks to a sponsor and a picture that uh, we took from earlier this week from a sponsor, the Nitsche Group, that came in to say hi and watch what we do. They're a loyal supporters, supporters of what we do. This is 365 Sports. Looking for power, performance, adventure, or luxury? We've got it all at Alan Samuels in Waco. Find amazing deals during the Make This the Summer sales event on new Ram trucks, Jeep SUVs, Chrysler sedans, minivans, or a sporty Dodge. At Alan Samuels, we're committed to taking care of our customers. And that means a large inventory on hand for you to choose from. Shop DCJ.com or come see us today at Alan Samuels in Waco. Come by. Let's be friends. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. 
Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and baker. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon-wrapped fillets to T-bone to bone-and ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef, and chicken fajitas, and always large briskets available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and family tradition of the Bauer family continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, open Monday through Saturday. A full-service butcher shop and bakery available. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. It takes time to reach goals. It's a truth that applies to more than sports. It goes for your financial goals as well. You work hard for your money, and you deserve an investment strategy that lines up with your game plan. And Chuck Verno, your Edward Jones financial advisor, can help. If financial investments aren't putting forth the effort you desire, stop by today for a financial review. Chuck Verno, 720 North 64th Street in Waco, 254-732-1161. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is sponsored by Edward Jones Investments with financial advisor Brad Wilson. Investing his time and experience back to you and your money during today's changing times. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Baylor football had a media session, and then they're about to go into a bunker between now and their opening game against Texas State the first weekend in September. Dave Aranda met with the media earlier today and trying to make sure the team transfers what they do during the week onto game day and especially discussing trying to make sure they hold court on their own court at McLean Stadium. So far in camp, we've had, and this goes back to spring too, we've had really, really unbelievable and strong practices maybe on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And then we cross the bridge, we get to the stadium, and we don't necessarily see that. I want to say the spring game was perhaps some of that. And then, you know, this last spring game we had, or this last scrimmage we had, had some, some remnants of that. And so I think for us to play our best, um, you know, under under bright lights, in big stadiums, in the big moments. I think those things still have to happen. Now, I think there's a comfort level of what they're doing that is, that's happening now. I think there's a cohesion and that the guy to the left and right of them has their back. Uh, I think there's a trust level in their coaches. And so all of that has kind of been growing. I'm happy with how that's going. Uh, but we got to get that translated uh, to playing our best in McLean. And we haven't done that yet. All right, so there's Dave Aranda from earlier today. Jack McKenzie was at the practice. Now, our interview with uh, Gloria Navarez, a Mountain West Conference commissioner. Here are some comments that were peeled out of the replay. There were no negative comments. They were all pretty much about 
what she discussed, not all of them about her, but I wanted to share them with you. First one, while if only Gloria was running the Pac-12 the last couple of years, she is a gun. The contractual structure of the Mountain West is so brilliant, and the Pac had nothing. That alone could have saved the Pac-12 or at least make schools think twice before leaving. Well, they didn't have a media deal, so, um, you know, their contract was up. That was the problem. It's not that they uh, their contract was bad. The contract was over. I mean, so they couldn't negotiate a new one. The Mountain West has one. If the Mountain, I mean, I'm not to take away Isn't from... Isn't that what she... This, or No, he said that... The contractual the, structure of the Mountain West is so brilliant, and the PAC had nothing. Okay. But she, then he said that alone could could have saved the, the Pac-12. Well, maybe uh, if they would have had a deal. I mean, yeah, it's the yeah, second thing. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. you could have ended it there. That's why the second part of that doesn't make any sense because they didn't have a deal. Texan Bear Vault 3198. The Mountain West is my favorite group of five conferences, true regionality, rivalries, and I love their commissioner. I think she is great. From Jimmy Arlene, 8803, the Mountain West commissioner, she knows what she's talking about. She's done her homework on all, uh, and, all and knows all of this. My opinion, if the Pac-12 had her as their commissioner, their TV contract would have been done. She would. She would have got through it and given them what they needed. Well, if she would have been tough enough to tell the presidents, no, we're not getting $50 million. Let's take this 30 and run, then yes. Finally, Twins talk it up. So impressed with Commissioner Navarez, well-spoken, can see a broader role in the shaping landscape of collegiate or sports, hoping nothing but the best for the Mountain West and the remaining Pac-12. I mean, I agree with that. I hope for the best. I hope for some resolution for their sakes here pretty soon. Um, you know, I'd hate to maneuver through this upcoming football season and you know particularly if you're one of those schools being left out like an Oregon State is expected to be really good and the entire time you've got a backdrop of like okay you go win the pack that'd be cool go make the playoff unlikely but let's just say okay yeah that'd be cool but then you go and uh go play in the Mountain West next year I mean it's uh or if that's even where you go you still don't know you could be playing in the American you could be playing in you know, pack Frankenstein, you could, I mean, that's, that's an unfortunate backdrop. That's not going to be answered probably in time for the season. Maybe, maybe we got a little, little bit of time left. Maybe they come to some sort of resolution, but I do feel for uh, Oregon state and Washington state, uh, you know, in particular, I think the the whole situation kind of sucks and a couple things go differently. And we'd be talking about Iowa state and Kansas state and Baylor and others uh, probably the same way. And so they're very fortunate. That's why a lot of these athletic directors have, have made it known. Like they, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you're fist pumping because you your side won, so to speak. But on the other hand, you know, that could have been you. And it really wasn't that far off from being you. So I think it's good that they have that perspective because they're still not in the clear. I, I know there's a whole celebration right now, but we don't still have all these conversations about realignment because once the ACC does what they do or don't do, and once the pack figures out what they're going to do or just die off entirely, it's not like everything's just settled for the next 20 years. Um, so, yeah, it's great now. But if you're the Big 12, there's very little time to celebrate. Take your victory lap and uh, get to work. And, and I think that's the message that we heard from all of these uh, 
athletic director so far, which is good because uh, that's the reality of the situation is, is that this isn't uh, anywhere near being calm waters. Maybe realignment-wise, you know, as far as movement and all that, even though we just mentioned there's a couple things clearly that are still in the works uh, with the pack at least. But, yeah, it's, it's not ever going to be totally smooth sailing for those schools in particular. All right, thank you. Uh, and we continue with this segment, Paul's Top 5 Around the Corner, from Nicole Arbach who I think now is starting to uh, work for NBC and covering college football, on the Knight Commission. Paul, to remind everybody, what is the Knight Commission? Um, I can't remember. There's been so many commissions. I wish we had to talk about this before we were alive. Well, you know so everything. Can, you're, you're, I, always, I, pre- I appreciate I, that, yeah. but like, All right, here's, I'm 43 now, and, and, and crap's starting to leave. Uh, Just on like on a panel of American academic, athletic, and sports leaders with an eye toward the reform of college athletics, particularly in regard to emphasizing academic values and policies. Yeah, thank All you, right. Craig. So Amy Perko is the CEO of the Knight Commission. She sent this out. This is a, from Nicole Arbach, and it is college sports at most FBS affiliated pro. Uh, the programs are driven today by one all-consuming, well, you see that, pursuit, the money chase, the recent conference realignment decisions, Pac-12 institutions, including two founding members of the 108-year-old conference, should be a final tipping point forcing university presidents to explain why the current structure is still in the best interest of all Division One college athletes in all sports. These football-driven realignments create substantial challenges for basketball, Olympic sport athletes who will spend much more time traveling, miss many more classes with cross-country conference competition than football players. Basketball, not so much because they're still only going to play two games a week, but, um, I mean, maybe so. I mean, the, the men's basketball, for the most part, is not going to hurt that much because they, they're – they're doing okay. I mean, financially, it's going to hurt for for a ton of a ton of people. Um, but yeah, look, part of the thing, and I think the Pac-12 presidents found this out in the worst possible way is a lot of times none of these people are accountable for the decisions they make on why they're making them because they know the answer is well, it's just a lot more money. It's a lot more money for who? It's a lot more money for the university. Okay, who's all going to see that money? Is everybody going to see that money? No, some of us are, and some of us aren't. So, yeah, it is It is a hard uh, thing to explain. And, you know, eventually they're going to have to change something to make it all work for, for everybody else because the and the leaders are the one it's when the headache gets to them. Like, oh, how do I control all this is when it's going to stop because it's, it's going to be logistically a nightmare for a long time. All right, uh, Craig, anything on that? I'm, I'm going to read. Read the rest of the what Perko said about what we were just discussing. No, go. Ahead. I mean, I, I just you know talking about talking about people talking, uh, you know, with with the uh, the travel and all these issues, and like nothing gets done. I mean, so it's it's great. People are talking and saying statements, but you know, it's it's the same statements they were given a year ago, two years ago. It's just like, oh, what's next? We can talk about government intervening in NIL. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what I hear with a lot of these these statements. It's just like. We get that you get it, and then you get that we get it. But as far as, like, the story itself, like, it just there needs like, to be something done about it, not talking about it or around it, you know? You really, I do truly wonder if, if this will ever be solved. The rest of the letter, if presidents, university presidents, want to continue pretending FBS football is just like other NCAA Division One sports, then the college football playoff meeting on August 30th 
to determine future revenue distributions of more than a billion dollars should be its last. And these decisions should be made by NCAA governance. The alternative is to have FBS football be governed by its own entity. And believe me, there's a lot of people that would love to see that. Well, look, the NCAA has proven itself completely feckless and pointless and useless. I don't know how many of you were there. I mean, like, what do they do? What do they do? They don't do anything. We've been down this road with the NCAA trying to rebuild it or did, like let's just do something different. And if football is going to drive all this and it's going to be different, then we need to start maybe admitting to ourselves finally and making the rules as such that football is different and you cannot apply the same things to football that you can to everyone else. It sucks uh, if you're everyone else, but it's a fact of life. So it needs to be governed differently because it's different. There's not a sport that has the same amount of scholarships. There's not all the sports combined don't make as much money. I mean, we take as football and men's basketball. So you have to do things a little bit differently. And it's time to just admit that that needs to be done and do it. All right, so there you are with that. Wanted to share that nugget from uh, Nicole Arbach. We've heard from Dave Aranda here. There's one of the notes. Uh, Magic Johnson, who's been kind of busy, first of all, an incredible entrepreneur. This is about Brett Yormark and the Big 12 commissioner. I'm so happy and excited about the job Brett Yormark is doing as commissioner of the Big 12. He has absolutely knocked it out of the park. By the way, ran into him with his twin brother Michael and their wives at the Lemon Tree Restaurant in Capri, this summer. So there's a note from Magic Johnson, who's also now one of the partners in the new Washington Commanders football franchise. Here is the picture from earlier this week when the Nietzsche group came into town. And there we are with Klein, and there's George, and there's Paul. I'm in the middle, and then there's Craig. We, are, uh, we, we look really good. Yeah, I think the color really pops. It's a very good photo. It's almost like you and George said, hey, what color are you wearing? Craig and I went straight, like, blood red. And then Klein's in there trying to make sure he offsets it a little bit. Would be different. I want to go back to the Brett Yormark Magic Johnson tweet. Do you ever read things and you think, I I don't live in that world? Like, I ran into Brett and his wife and his brother and their wife in Capri. Yeah. No. I'm just, where am I going to be where I'm just eating lunch and Magic Johnson comes up and says, hey, man. I, like, it's just never, that's just a world I don't live in or, or understand. I'd love to, but, I mean, I'm not hopeful that that's going to happen. There was a picture of Magic and his family, and they were wearing Washington Commander's uh, merchandise on his yacht. And if you haven't seen it, I don't know what it would be comparable to Jerry's, but it is a monster uh, where he kind of, when you have that, you kind of go to sleep, and they, you know, you're eight, ten hours later, you might be in a different country or a different part of an ocean somewhere. So, yeah, it's probably not real difficult for him. So there you are with the Brett Yorma. I didn't know his uh, brother was almost like a twin brother. I, I didn't, He's I, not almost. He is a twin oh, okay. brother. <laughs> they mentioned it. Uh, he actually mentioned it on the uh, on the podcast that he did the other day. Go watch an interview with him. It's just like Brett Yormark. He talks like him. He looks like him. I mean, there's like subtle differences, but they're pretty much twin brothers. Um, and, yeah, he's big in Rock Nation and has his own – you know, power backing and uh, moving and shaking and all that. And it's easy to track down an interview with them where it's like listening to Brett Yormark just might be a slight difference as far as their voice goes, but the delivery and all that uh, is pretty spot on. So, yeah, if he wanted to try and, 
you know, pull a joke on people at Media Day next year. He could have his brother show up and just see how long it takes people to realize that it's not him, or he could just make people double take by bringing them along for the ride and having two Brett Your Marks under one roof or, you know, two Your Marks under one roof. But yeah, I just saw an interview with him talking about some business deal that he was a part of with basketball, I think it was. Um, and yeah, the, the similarities are, are spot on. All right, uh, in the chat room, <clears throat> just got a super chat for $10 from the Mr. Hicks podcast. I think that was a commercial. Well, he retracted his message, so. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what it was. At least he's nice enough. But others who are allegedly have podcasts have come on here and just tried to, like, promote their own show. And, and thank you very much for the super chat. We do appreciate that. Uh, I, uh, I got nervous when you said feckless. Let's stay, you want me to, I, I know. I just you want to say what there, else? They, I, I you want to say what ju- else they are? No, I go can ahead. Keep going. Yeah, no, go ahead. But you th- then, then you'll get nervous. <laughs> you can. So you can yeah, say all you want. Just, that, for me, that was like I had to go go look in my online thesaurus. It, it just, I, you know, and I was maybe I don't want to say I'm not at the at the front of this. There were a lot more people uh, on it than me, but I got. to, I remember when. Everything was kind of going on with Baylor and their inst- investigation. At that point, after seeing everything they tried to do and failed at, um, I was just like, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to sweat this forever because, you know, particularly Baylor's gotten some harsher punishments in the past. Uh, there was a really stupid one for, for Perry Jones, the third, uh, when he was here, um, you know, for going to a, a preseason game in San Diego with his basketball coach that didn't have anything to do with Baylor uh, at all, but somehow he got suspended for the Big 12 tournament in a couple games the, the next year. It was really bad. So people had that in their minds. I was like, look, just look at what's happening. Like, they're not winning games, in, you know, so to speak, in court. They, they keep losing and losing and losing. And I don't know how many more lawsuits or stupid rules or things they can try to do uh, before – Everybody just gets fed up. I mean, I, I I guess there's just it's hard to create a new organization, but somebody needs to step up that has the the sway to do it and say. This right, so, is what's what we the difference do. between you saying that and four years ago? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's the I thing. Mean, we got to say too, they don't do yeah. not do anything. They host the championships. Yeah. I mean, they host March Madness. That's not. That's not nothing. I get what you're saying though. Like as far as punishments and stuff go, but um, you know that. That's not like they are just – that's all they do. They, I mean, they, they're the championship host, so there is that part of it. And if you want to break off and do all that, then, yeah, you're going to have to have the SEC and the Big Ten hosting their own March Madness. They're going to have to host their own college football playoff. I'm sure they can find the networks to do it, but how does that look? That's a lot of uh, logistics to have to, to run through. But, I mean, yeah, they, they have not been the best. It's easy to dunk on them, though. It's like beating up on the, you know, the – the I guess the wimpy kid or something because um, they are an easy target and they made themselves an easy target and they turned out to be the wimpy kid and not really the big bad bully that you thought they were and once that you know that uh, that mask was ripped off uh, they have been more the butt of jokes than anything but they're strong enough that nobody's breaking off just yet although that does seem like it's probably in the cards at some point um, but you you again it would be a lot more complex than just, all right, we're leaving and you guys aren't in charge anymore. It's like, all right, now host this tournament and host the playoff and host, you know, this and that your championships all on your own. And, um, you know, you're going to need a, a, a system to do that. So you're basically would throw away the NCAA just to start a brand new NCAA. Yeah. In and so many to say ways. They will be any better. Yeah. That means it, it, yeah. It would just uh, be more under your guidance. So yeah, there's some things that need to be fi- figured out in that space, but a lot is getting figured out these last couple years and there's no slowing down whether it's you know 
realignment or it's uh, NIL or it's, you know, what all that looks like in the future and how people even compete for championships or what levels or what. I mean, that's all what's being sorted through right now. It's just that we have a lot of commentary on it because it's happening in real time. It's not like, you know, and we're not going to hear an update one for a hundred days. We know we're going to, as soon as something happens, we know about it or we at least see speculation on it. So it seems like it's dragging on and in some ways it is, but it's also just because we're, we're all over it all the time. So hopefully there's a resolution and some of these subjects that they can arrive sooner rather than later. But the question of the NCAA and its future or lack thereof is, uh, is one that's, that's worth you know, thinking about and, and seeing what they might be able to pivot to. But it's, it's not that easy. It's all at one time, too. That's the thing about the NIL, the transfer portal. So much happened at one time. It, just, it was amazing. Realignment's been around for quite some time. Mr. Hicks had now his comment was uh, re- replaced. Separate sports in the tiers. Separate sports in the tiers. National, regional, local travel allow teams to declare their investment in each sport and stop disrupting other sports. Thank you very much for the super chat. When we come back, Paul Catalina wraps up the day and the week with his top five. PettyClinicLowT.com. Dr. Kent Petty can help you become the high-performance man that you want to be, need to be, and perhaps used to be. As you get older, one out of every three to four men have symptomatic issues of low testosterone. It could be you don't sleep that well. It could be your energy is not at the level you're expecting or you have had for the longest of time, and you're kind of sluggish. And it could be what's happening with you when it comes to your sex drive. PettyClinicLowT.com. Go to the website. Contact Dr. Petty and his staff. And if you're one of, if any of those symptoms might be you, or you're just not really sure, they will set you up to go get your blood work at a lab. The lab will send in the results. He will take care of getting the blood work done for you. Look at the results, and if your testosterone is too low, then he could put you in a program to increase your testosterone levels, and you can become, I think. Sooner than you think, back to being the man you want to be, used to be, and need to be at PettyClinicLowT.com. The future's bright. The time is now. College is what you make it. It's a late-night pizza run and all-nighters coding a new project. It's having big dreams and making them a reality. It's a professor who knows your name and your story. It's preparation for your future, your calling, your life. And at Baylor, it's even more. Baylor, where lights shine bright. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears! 
Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at TexasBeefHouse.com. Samantha Duvall joins us. She's the marketing director who knows all of the specials and also the events coming up. And thank you very much, as always, for your time. So all of these holidays are over. We've hit the meat of, literally, of the summer. And your thoughts about as you hit the month of August and into football season, Samantha? Football season's right around the corner, so- means it's perfect time for tailgating and um, the best time to grab our hamburger patties is right now through the end of july we still have our sale going on with our regular patties and our jalapeno and cheese patties they're 12 dollars a package so that's four patties to a package it's perfect for the time for football gather all your family around that way you can grill it up where's the best beef in texas your house when you order from texas beef house unleash the flavor of texas raised wagyu and how they age it as well from our pasture to your plate texasbeefhouse.com there are 26 letters in the alphabet over 600,000 words in the dictionary and just three of them said together can change everything let's order pizza those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on marco's pizza that'll blow your mind so visit marcos.com to order and stop by marco's pizza in Bellmead, china spring woodway and in robinson marco's pizza lovers get it it's time for paul catalina's top five brought to you by texas beef house where's the best beef in texas your house when you order from texas beef house unleash the flavor of texas raised wagyu from our pasture to your plate texasbeefhouse.com Top five coaches with the toughest job in 2023. Now, I only think one of these guys is actually on the hot seat. This is more about you had this is just going to be tough sledding this year. There's a, there, they have maybe a little, few more obstacles to overcome than than normal. So only one of these guys is, is I believe, legitimately on the hot seat, and that's the number one guy uh, on the list. Number five, Tony Elliott at Virginia. The ACC, uh, it's been a pretty not, tough nut to crack anyway because of, of Clemson and Florida State pretty much, you know, trading stretches of dominance. It's not year after year. It's, you know, Florida State for a long time, now Clemson for a long time. And so to even get in contention in the conference has been tough since two schools seem to control it most of the time. He came from Clemson into Virginia. He's going into year two. Last year ended in horrible tragedy uh, for them, and they, they you know didn't finish the season because of the of the murders of their, their players. And uh, having to come back from that, he lost his quarterback. Brennan Armstrong's off to NC State, another ACC school. His best defensive player, Fentrell Cypress, went to Florida State, another ACC school. So for him to make waves in year two, it's going to be a little bit tougher than most. And year two is where you see your biggest jump, and they might see a jump. I'm just saying that the job for Tony Elliott at Virginia this year is is harder than it would be under many normal circumstances. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting situation there, as you pointed out there towards the end. Um, you know, new quarterback. Uh, just, I, I mean, I think, you know, part of it was it's not like he had a full offseason last year to, like, really build up. Like, yeah. Bronco Mendenhall suddenly leaves, and it's like, hey, they need a coach, and okay, Tony Elliott's the guy. And, like, it's not like he had, you know, the Joey McGuire of, like, an extra two months and the entire offseason yeah. and was able to get, like, a huge head start or something. So I think that that played into it. And there's there's just a lot to unpack there, man, especially with the way the season ended. Um, just 
awful stuff, uh, sad, tragic stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see how Tony Musket does uh, and also to see, you know, just uh, how they're able to kind of emotionally come back and just play football and kind of clear their minds again. I mean, Glenn, there's been months and months that passed, but it's uh, it was just a weird year, man. It was just a weird-ass year all the way around. So I would think, you know, uh, there's bound to be a lot more positive feelings and just hope kind of surrounding that team uh, this season, a lot more clarity on kind of what's going on as well. Yeah, I just think functionally, you know, most teams at the end of the year, the first coach is when they start to, they start to get it and the light comes on and the, you build into that and you didn't have any of that because of the tragedy. So uh, those kind of things are, it, it's again, it's tough to, to overcome. Number four, Dana Holgerson. Look, they're stepping into the Big 12. Uh, he as a coach, I believe is fully ready for it. I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed at any any way, shape, or form. But the roster that he's bringing in is not the roster he wanted to bring into the Big Twelve, uh, and that is going to take another couple of years. But he's got the support of the university and everything behind him. I don't think anybody's expecting Houston to come in and shock the world. But I do think that of the teams that are coming in this year, he probably has been dealt the weirdest and toughest hand in that uh, when he was planning for two years on this move to the Big 12, those roster, especially with Alton McCaskill leaving, that roster didn't didn't line up exactly how he wanted it to. I thought it was an interesting comment from Chris Pesman earlier yep. on um, Dana and whether or not he's around in a couple of years because he's sick and tired of NIL at that <laughs> point or transfer portal stuff or whatever. I mean, look, I, I was the, the bandwagon leader of Alton McCaskill. I just want to say that as far as, you know, the rounding the, the buggies to uh, get upset about him leaving Houston for Colorado. Um, he's a great player. He's also coming off of an injury where he didn't play at all last yeah. year. So, I mean, they could they could know enough to know, like, hey, there's a chance he might not be fully healthy, and you could go around and, and you know, peg the rest of your offense the way that you wanted to. Um, I do think it's it was an unfortunate, you know, you go through spring ball and you think you've got this star, and all of a sudden he's just gone for no real reason because there was no indication that that was in the works. Went through all of spring ball. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough blow, but – Look, every coach in the country has lost some guys or, you know, has, has, has had to overcome some guys leaving for one reason or another. So that one person shouldn't be a killer for him. But, yeah, they're not walking in at full strength. You also just timed, timed it up to where, you know, your four-year starting quarterback's also gone at the same time. So, you know, Donovan Smith was a nice uh, plug-in, and he could, you know, do very well for them. But, yeah, the roster's not in – compete for Big 12 shape right now, and uh, you don't know how long it's going to take to, to po- potentially get there. They're, they're a real mystery to me. I expect them to be in the bottom of the Big 12 or near the, near the bottom, uh, but you know maybe he's got a trick up his sleeve. It's hard to kind of see it right now, though. But, uh, yeah, the, the comment from Pesman, he falls in that category of to me of, of Dabo, Mike Gundy, Dana Holgerson. If they all coach for 20 more years or – three more years, mm-hmm. it wouldn't shock me either way because of the way that they are. Like, they're just those things that are new to college football, they may be like, look, I got into this to do it a different way. It's different now. I've made tons of money. Right. I'm going fishing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think it's also, like, let's be honest, also a way to – you know, maybe you're hoping for that, that in a couple of years he's ready to go. You don't have to deal with buyouts and things that keep him there longer potentially, but, you know – 
that will all depend on how he does on the field. Uh, if they go out and win 10 games this year, they'll sign him to an extension. Mm-hmm. If he wins three, then he's on hot seat watch, and that's just how it works. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, it's weird. He, they, they won eight games last year. They won a bunch the year before that. They um, have more. Only UTSA has won more games in the state of Texas over the last couple of years. But you would think that they'd won 12 total in the yeah. last two years. No, you're right. It's just because of his personality and the way he kind of grates on people and – you know, um, it's it's interesting, but yeah, that's that's a spot to watch for sure. Number three, Billy Napier at Florida could not get the quarterback. I'm sure that he really wanted. Uh, I know they feel good about Graham Merch or better than they did um, maybe going in, but they've got a really tough schedule. You've got the best team in the country, two time defending national champion, uh, is in your division uh, in Georgia. The Probably one of the more up-and-coming schools in the country in Tennessee is in your division. Your biggest rival who you play in the at the end of the year has as much momentum as they have had uh, since 20 in a, in a decade, honestly. Uh, so they're rolling along, and you are still in your let's see where we really are and how – and I, this is very true for Florida and Billy Napier in that they're in the stage – that a lot of schools like Nebraska is in where let's really assess where we actually are and not where we hope to think we are. Like the real perception of who we are and not our fantasy of like, oh, well, we're, you know, this is Florida. This is Nebraska. Where Miami is. They're all kind of in that same phase where they have new coaches who are, I think, to the point where they have athletic departments that are assessing the reality situation and not the past, the present and not the past. And their schedule is going to be tough. I think they're probably going to look better this year, but it may not be completely reflected in the record. You've got Utah on the schedule as well. That's the first game of the season. They may not have to face Cam Rising, but it's on the road, and Utah's a really tough team anyway. So you've got just four games that I'd listed off the top of my head that are going to be tough, and you've got a fan base that's hungry for improvement, but it's going to be hard to show necessarily in the record in year two and Billy Napier. And then that's when things start to get kind of weird where people go, well, who did we hire? What's going on here? And I would caution Florida fans just to give them a chance, but I think it's going to be tough this year for Florida. I, think uh, you, I just think you pretty much answered it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. Uh, if he wins a bunch of games, I don't think any of that that you just said matters. If he yeah. doesn't, then, yeah, all that will matter. But, um, yeah, it's important to show some progress. That's that's what you got to do is show some progress and show that they're building and not just, you know, flatlining, uh, basically. Because if there's some middle-of-the-road team that hasn't gotten any better, then, yeah, you start to get a little bit worried about – not only where you're sinking and falling in the SEC, but now you've got more teams joining the fray. Are you going to be 12 or are you going to be all of a sudden 13, 14 when you look up uh, in, in the standings overall? So, yeah, I think uh, you know it's a, it's a huge year for him to prove that they're on the right track. Yep, and uh, Florida, I mean, surprisingly enough, with all the money that they have flowing around there, they haven't um, – boosters haven't done a good job of – allocating it in the right spots. I also think, too, like maybe boosters just don't – and I'm not saying this against – it's like maybe it's – not everybody's keen on the idea of spending two yeah. million on getting your freaking college a football player. You know what I mean? Well, like, I'm, I'm not even talking about nil was the bad part, but the facilities have fallen behind it, well, Florida, which is yeah. really surprising. That's uh, well, I mean, that, that might speak to just the state of things in general. Yeah. If you're not, if your boosters aren't willing to even upgrade your facilities on a regular basis to keep up, then you can't really complain too much about the football coach, can you? Yeah. I mean, I guess you uh, can to some extent, but. You're either in or you're out. I feel like when you have a new coach, that also comes with new facilities or new upgrades and things like that. So if they are, in fact, and I don't know enough about the situation to know for sure, but I trust you on it. The, um, 
They're go ahead. building new stuff, but it's it t- took him going like, "Hey, I'm like the fifth guy you've hired. I'm the fifth guy who's going to tell you you've got to fix this." So stuff. they are building. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, there's that going for him. So yeah, that'll be great for him or for the next head coach, uh, depending on you know how these next couple of years go. But yeah, it's an important year for him. Yeah, number two, Kirk Ferentz uh, has his you know his son Brian, the offensive coordinator, that's got you know benchmarks he's got to meet offensively this year and. You know, Kirk Ferentz has earned the right to go out with his boots on, um, you know, at Iowa and retire the way he wants to. But those things do get shorter. The you know, when you play a, a, the style of football that they do, and they if they struggle again offensively, uh, you know, the warm and fuzzies are going to be kind of gone for even Kirk Ferentz in a, in a school that has had two head coaches in the last, you know. 175 years it feels like between him and Hayden Fry so they you know even Iowa the most patient college in the country can lose his patience and I think you started to see that last year yeah I think uh you know he's 68 years old he's he's getting older and you are starting to hear some of the the angst uh creeping up whereas you know that hasn't really been much of the case at least not where it's you know bled across state lines and you you notice it nationally um, seems like they're just pretty content, and I made mention of it yesterday that like, Iowa can be thankful they didn't go the Nebraska route of thinking they're better than they were and getting rid of a coach who was winning nine games because they feel they deserved to win double digits no matter what. Um, still an all-time blunder by Nebraska uh, that they never quite recovered from. Um, so I think Iowa's smart enough to not do that at the first sign of panic, but you know, at the same time, no matter how long you've been somewhere, everybody has their day, and you watch that program last year try to operate on one side of the football compared to the other side that was as about as good as you can get on a regular basis uh the other side was just inexcusable and you add in the family tie and it makes it even more inexcusable if that's the reason as to why that's as bad as it is and it's not changing uh so yeah there there should rightfully be some heat um on that seat not you know if you don't win this many games you're out but if you don't show some daggum improvement on offense your son's out like bottom line he has to be i mean there's there's no excuse for it that's that was atrocious. I mean, especially paired with the defense that good. So I'm very curious to see how Cade McNamara, you know, betters them and, and overall how they look. Uh, but that it's almost inexcusable to have an offense that bad at that level of, of college football. Number one, Neil Brown, who is – he's got the chip on his shoulder. Smokey, you mentioned it yesterday yep. about, you know, all the things that, you know, people are kind of forgetting about West Virginia and, and you know, got the wrong color on their – you know, backdrop at Big 12 media days, all these things. And that schedule is tough. And, you know, they're a school that played a lot of close games a year ago. If they can bridge that gap and improve, that would be surprising. The problem is, is that you'd like if you're Neil Brown to have a transitional schedule year where it's just in the middle of the road. You know, like a middle-of-the-road schedule to show people that you're growing and the first four games of it or five games of this because Duquesne's in the middle of it, it's just not – not conducive to that. He's playing a really uh, tough schedule, and that's great. I hope more schools have tough schedules. It just uh, did not fall in the best year for Neil Brown, potentially. Yeah, well, it would have been better if uh, he just won more previously. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be on as hot of a seat, but, yeah, it's a, it's a bad draw and one that you're going to have to prove yourself right out of the gates or you could find yourself being two and three or five or one and four and uh, maybe not having a job come November uh, at that point. So I'm sure some – you know, grade scale will be given to uh, 
to who they're playing if they are to start off on a on a bad note. Um, but also that will depend on the style in which they're losing. Are you losing close games to good teams, or are you getting blown out by good teams and you're limping into the Big 12? So, yeah, I mean, that first month's going to be huge for, for Neil Brown. And you can tell, he, he was feisty at Big 12 Media Days, and he Absolutely. could say it's about the podium backdrop and all that, and I agree that that's a, a, a disrespectful thing that should never have happened, having the wrong backdrop or wrong-colored backdrop at Media Days. Um, but I also think some of that's just he's fighting because he knows the situation, and he knows that he's... He's, he's got to be defensive right now um, and that a lot rides on on how this team performs. So you can feel that from him. You can feel it from the fans. I think you can feel it with a new athletic director in place. Uh, everybody knows what's what, and, and that first month will be very important. Penn State on the road, who's supposed to be – well, I mean, they were 11-2, and two, I think, last year. Then Duquesne, then you play Pittsburgh, a rival, and then Texas Tech at home in a game that opens up the Big 12. And then after that – TCU in Fort Worth, among other games that they have to play. All right, Levi Caraway, it was so good to see you. I've really changed my, my thoughts about you. You're, you're a kind young man, a gentle soul. Emery Winter working on uh, 365 Sports tonight at 1030 tonight on the CW. Garrett Ross, great stuff. Thank you for directing, producing, and putting everything together like you did for Paul Catalina and Craig Smoke. We love and thank our loyalty and sponsors of what they bring to the table with us every day, and you, the audience, because that's why they're why we're here, and you as well. I'm David Smoke. Have a great weekend. This is 365 Sports. Ideal MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you while lowering the cost of health care bills. When you need an MRI, ask your doctor for an Ideal MRI. Visit us at IdealMRI.com or call us at 